0: buddy, welcome back to the Mars Chronicles. My name is David Whitehead. Josh is here with me from the Red Pill Project. Redpills.tv is his site. You can catch me at dwtruthwear.com. And we have a new website for the Mars Chronicles, themarschronicles.com. Make sure people know about it. Josh, this is chapter five of our epic saga, and today we're tackling pyramids. Could do a whole series of his own just for this subject. There's so much to talk about, but uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. This this is going to be interesting.
1: I wore a special shirt tonight, about for the rebels out there. If you don't understand what this means and what we're talking about, then you probably don't know. So, I, I mean, we are talking. So we're talking about the Mars Chronicles, right? And uh, if anybody has ever heard of Dr. Joseph Farrell's theory pertaining to a lot of this stuff, he believes that the movie Star Wars, the movie Star Wars was actually a documentary series on what happened in the solar system. And um, the Giza Death Star is one of his books. He talks about it, that uh, George Lucas was actually consulted by um, – who was it? Oh, my God. I'm forgetting his name now. Um, Joseph Campbell in the sense of doing Star Wars. And uh, Joseph Farrell, Dr. Joseph Farrell believes that he had a lot of inside information of which how he made Star Wars. But when you start taking that in the context, you start seeing a lot of these parallels. But tonight we're talking about pyramids. And this is the interesting part uh, that I love because we get the deep dive in the various different topics that we've seen in the sense of uh, various different symbology or different types of runes that we've seen on all of these planets, Earth and, and Mars. Um, And the pyramids are one of just riddled with mysteries, aren't they, David?
0: They absolutely are, man. This is one of my favorite subjects, I got to say. I am not the expert on it, but I interview the experts. I'm a collector of experts on this subject and not just your academic mainstream experts, which, of course, we still want to hear from them. Uh, I go to the Maverick scholars, the thinkers, the guys that are outside the box, that have high-level genius. They have also courage to stand outside of the cloth and speak their minds freely without fear of reprisal. And these are the giants that we owe a debt to, the people that came from the past, uh, that studied, that measured these pyramids, that found and dug up these pyramids, and then even wrote books on these ancient ruins all over the planet. Um, I'm telling you, There's theories coming out the wazoo. You start going on YouTube and you're going to find all kinds of stuff. You have to make this, in my opinion, your own study and investigation. And it has to start from the notion that we don't know what these things are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm not here. And I know Josh, you're not here either to say anything declarative about pyramids and, and all this stuff. We're just exploring this stuff. So I just want to ease the tension. This isn't your average show where we're trying to tell you what it is. We want to know what it is too. And it's the mystery of it that is what's going to pull you right in. And, and I'll tell you, it's not something that like, you know, your modern academia mainstream wants to be go, oh, it's all been explained. It's already we've already got it all figured out. They just built it inside 80 years, the great pyramids. And they've they, they got a whole bunch of slaves to do it. <laughs> and they, they got trees from Europe somehow. And they rolled the law in, And it's just you just go in and you go, OK, right from the beginning, if you want to talk about conspiracy, start with ancient egypt and i want to uh point people to a series we actually did michael DeSarian and i did on unslaved it's a premium show for anybody that's new here unslaved.com it's like six bucks a month and you get full access to thousands of hours of unique content and we did a whole series on just the pyramids (laughs) and we brought on ralph ellis we brought on um on numerous guys even guys that had different theories of the pyramids we brought we brought a guy in we had to get a translator who was italian who had a whole new thing on the dating of the pyramids and how everybody's wrong. And it's way older than we thought. Um, and when we did the show on this, the first episode that we did, Michael, (laughs) there's a 10 minute clip that at some point we'll play. Okay. And it's just epic of him breaking down to tell people just how much mystery and conspiracy there is when it comes to ancient monuments, to the pyramids, et cetera. So we'll get there, but Josh, pyramids, Egypt. You've been looking at a lot of theories. You've even been telling me that this subject has had you diving so deep that you've even had to like change the way you think about certain things. A subject like this can do that to you, can it?
1: It it can. And uh, I've had a few theories that I've been working on and building over the past few years. Um, and, One of them got completely turned around today. Not turned around, but just slightly changed. And when it got slightly changed, that caused me to go to pieces of paper and start drawing symbols. And uh, I I drew a cross inside of a circle, which represents the four sections of of various seasons or or the zodiac. And then I drew an analemma symbol, so the the meta symbol, the the number eight, uh, around that. And immediately I saw an ancient Egyptian symbol. I saw the Ankh, and I go, wait a minute here. And, and by the way, the context of this circle um, was was representative of, I was thinking, rebirth and resurrection. I was thinking e- uh, the eternal cycle, because we're talking about the great calendar. And you know the, the symbology of the Ankh is of, of, of eternal life. And I'm sitting there going, have we had this all wrong? Have we been looking at these things all wrong the whole time? And I truly do believe that we've been looking at most of this stuff. Not us, not us in particular, but humanity. We've been looking at this stuff in more of a mythological context instead of a historical context of which numbers and symbols represent information tightly compacted that you must unravel through your own inner esoteric journeys, through the the occult knowledge that is hidden from us and through discovery of that. And when you start getting the bigger picture, you start building upon it. You go back, and we, I think we were talking about this the other day. You go back and you, you look at that old research. You go read those old books you read before. You go watch that old documentary. You go look at your notes when you were doing it. And you take new notes. And you optimize the work you did before. And this is what I'm doing and uh, it blows my mind like i'm like sitting here going oh my god i wasn't i wasn't wrong but i wasn't like fully right but now like i see like right when i saw that um i've always talked about what's called the analemma wave and the analemma wave is if we uh if you look up what an analemma is is if you measure the the sun in the sky every day at noon and you just put a little dot in the sky in your imaginary sky the sun's going to do this figure eight shape through the sky Right. And what this is, is really the the earth rotating around the sun. And it's kind of does this figure eight shape. But what you have is you have the solstice at the top, the summer solstice. Then you have the equinox, the spring and the fall equinox. And then you have winter. And we know that on winter, what actually happens is that it appears not actually what happens, but it appears that the sun sits still for three days and then it's resurrected on the 25th. And then it starts inclinating one degree every day right? And it goes through this whole transit again. The vernal equinox represents that, that balance between light and dark, right? This brings in spring, uh, spring being the, the season of rebirth and fertility and all these things. And this is what a lot of these ancient cultures are talking about. What we're talking about in this context is astrotheological. Now, if you watch this moon through a 29.5 day period, the moon's going to do an analemma through the sky, which is really interesting. Any rotating body around another rotating body is always going to have this perspective from external viewpoint of it. And so if we were able to monitor the sun's voyage through the galaxy, we would see that the sun goes up and, or the solar system goes up, it goes to a summer, it goes to two equinoxes, and then it goes to a fall. And uh, I calculated this a while back and I thought we were always coming in the springtime. I was wrong. We're, we're going in the winter. And, and it starts to make a lot more sense when you realize this because these 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 ages are 6480 years per season in the transit okay and so this means that the last season that we were in was the entering of the fall well if we go to biblical documents uh, the bible hebrew genesis we have the fall of man from eden and i found it just really really interesting but here's the thing is that that, that winter time frame it doesn't represent. It represents a death, a death of an old age, right, and the entering of a new age. But it it represents rebirth, resurrection, and so this is like a completion. Of One galactic year. And I think that that's what a lot of this is actually about, that we're about to trend upwards for one more full galactic year and that the the parallels of of evolution are about to begin again. I go a lot into the cycles when I explain this, but cycles, I think that the universe has inherently built in it cycles of evolution. That conscious evolution, material evolution, spiritual evolution, energetic evolution, whatever you want to call it, is built into the fundamentals of the universe. And that the cycles that our ancestors were actually talking about were specifically this, of how man goes through these certain points of spiritual evolution. And uh, the way I've calculated, and my math's correct on this one, is that you go through this spiritual path of progress. You go through this uh, this point of optimization where everything comes up to a point of optimization and it regresses in a, a reference to a, a Fibonacci sequence, right? About one quarter and then comes back up again. And so you have these points where it's just kind of like this this lightning bolt of how energy optimizes. And this goes from energy in the quantum, sub-quantum level, to the molecular, to the macro, the cosmological. This is how all these patterns start to replicate each other. And so I said, well, why would consciousness be any different? If consciousness is one of the end states of this evolution of energy and matter, then consciousness itself must evolve, and there must be pinpointed times in the history of the universe of which the universe brings about these potentialities for consciousness to evolve or have a greater propensity to evolve. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here is we're talking about these points in time where our regressional period of this period coming into the darkness is finally going to end and we're coming to the shortest day. And then finally we're going to transit and begin that transit back upwards to where we, I guess, in a sense, get more light. If you want to look at it like that. Now it's, it's mind blowing to think about it like this, but when I start looking at all these ancient artifacts, when I start looking at all the ancient symbology, the text, um, and uh, the the different types of landmarks, pyramids, so forth. We start seeing the resemblance of the sacred numbers all over the place. Um, before I go on to the sacred numbers, we get into the pyramids. I want to tell you a little story. I was reading Genesis in the Bible many, many years ago. And I was reading Genesis uh, a 3, uh, 323. And this is the story of the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, Cain kills Abel, Right. And God, oh, Cain, you're evil. Why'd you do that? And Cain's like, I'm so sorry, God. I shall not look at your face, all this stuff. Well, you remember God kicked Cain and all the humans out of the garden. And he put a mark upon their head, sent them to the city of Nod. And then he protected the garden. Do you remember how he protected the garden?
0: He sent an angel of light to guard it with a a flaming sword.
1: Yep, a terebrum and a flaming sword, a twirling, flaming sword. Now, the terebrum is quite interesting, but the flaming sword is interesting to me. Because in every reference that you go in the sense of the Hebrew Bible, it always is talking about twirling or spinning, right? Now, twirling and spinning and fire, a flaming fire sword, we start to think in the context that maybe something's oscillating or resonating. Now... When you start looking at the etymology of the word pyramid, you, you really don't get anywhere. Uh, there's a, a French word, P-I-R-M-A-D-E, which means uh, pyramid, means Egyptian pyramid. Okay? But if you take the word for what it is, two words, a suffix and a postfix, right? It's two parts, right? Pyra and mid. Pyra is a suffix that means fire. Mid means middle, middle fire. The Great Pyramid is the middle fire, the middle pillar of fire, okay? Now we're talking about a flaming sword that protected the garden to the east. A cherubim, 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 however you want to say it, okay? This would be an angel of light, one of God's protectors. Well, God's protectors, we could also look at as the 12 constellational zodiacs, right? One of them being Leo. Now, what sits in front of the Great Pyramid? The Sphinx, a big lion. The Sphinx, the big lion. The Sphinx would have been in that position about 6,400 years ago, at the beginning of the fall of man. The same with the Great Pyramid. I'm just, I know it's much, much older than that, but it brings about context. And by the way, it would have started uh, actually about 12,000 800 years ago, which would have been the summertime in the galactic procession, of which the actual fall would have tipped over the solstice period and began. So when we start to look at this in in symbolic context, it starts blowing your freaking mind. You start seeing like, oh my goodness, like what if what they're actually talking about is that um, Eden was maybe, uh, you know, ancient chem. And that something happened and humanity got kicked out of it or it got all shut down and got taken away from us or we got invaded or something happened. Who knows? But either way, the rem- remnants of it is there. And I looked at always the pyramids as, uh, as resident pillars of fire. And so pyra means fire. So why is the word pyra in the word pyramid? Fire. Fire is in the word pyramid. And so you have to think what that would mean to ancient uh, ancient cultures and civilizations the word fire could mean just about anything but it well, could it's also be because like fire
0: the right cuz fire also for pharaoh the pharaoh was the the yeah. fire of the mind the the illuminated one the the priest the the pharaoh wasn't you you know that there wasn't even for many of the pharaohs there wasn't even a public audience for the pharaoh ever they were never hmm. at any kind of public feast they were hidden away they were the enlightened and they had to Basically, almost live in the dark for crying out loud, um, but it, but it's because they had to keep the fire of the mind, the torch, the pharaoh, the pharaonic fire alive. So it's that's what made me think of as you're talking about the the fire and the fiery, you know, the fiery sword, the serpent, the whole story. There's so much interesting stuff when you get into the real, like the ancient etymology of this. Um, man, I could go on forever. But if there's any finishing thoughts on that, let me know. And then I want to talk about how many pyramids there are on this planet. Cause that's also quite interesting.
1: Well, the finishing thoughts really on it are this is that I think that the great pyramid or the pyramids of Giza are remnants of an ancient weapon yielded by the gods, not only a weapon, but also something that had dual functionality like a sword. It can be yielded for good or it can be yielded for bad. And uh, we'll get into this more when we start talking about the technology and how they derived their technology and what their direct technology was derived of. But let's talk more about these other pyramids. And I know that you're going to give this astonishing number that people aren't going to believe about how many pyramids there (laughs) actually are.
0: Well, and as you're talking about that theory of a technological aspect to this, because there's the camp of. Well, there's obviously the mainstream archaeology that thinks this is 5,000 year old culture. They built it with slaves. There's sort of the mainstream interpretation. If that's your jive, <laughs> you're probably in the wrong show. Yeah. Uh, what we're looking at here is the story of all the other evidence that wasn't allowed to be taught in the history books or the school books. So um, that's going to come from these mavericks as we go through. And there's lists and lists and lists of books. We could literally line up dump trucks of books to deliver to your door to go through this. It's, it's such a big subject, but, um, yeah, the, there's so many good things with the technology as well as the mythology, as well as there's another actual, um, element of philosophy of the ideal of dualism, you know, the mm-hmm. mono and the dual this all came from Egypt. And there's a lot of ancient uh, things that came out of that place. And there's also been a lot of misunderstanding of that culture. Uh, The vast majority of their ancient texts aren't even deciphered, you know, anything. A lot of things are not even in English. The books that have been written, the archaeology that's been done, they've been done by Swiss archaeologists and teams from elsewhere. It's not even translated yet. So for us to ever sit here in Canada or America and think we've read it all and heard it all, it's impossible. I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you guys that. And that's good news, because that means there's so much left to explore. That's why this can become your own subject. You can come up to your own opinion. That said. It's estimated, Josh, that there are over 5,000 pyramids on the planet, okay? And that's mainstream numbers. So they're not getting into even the areas in Latin America that they haven't even cut into yet to Mm -hmm. dig up older Aztec ruins. That's not counting uh, the very controversial subject of underwater pyramids and underwater structures, which... It's almost as taboo as talking about structures on the moon and Mars, by the way, when it comes to archeology, span which is interesting. Um, and then you just think about it. They're all done in different styles, but you'll see even in the little video intro there, I just gave you a tease of just, you know, the Aztec style step pyramids that you're gonna find. The, uh, and then you've got the more, you know, uh, flat sided pyramids, the three and four sided pyramids from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got this, these pyramidal structures that people are still trying to prove are pyramids. So that's not included in the 5,000, okay? I'm just telling you what's not included. So the 5,000 are the officially recognized. Now, some of them are newer. Some of them are not newer, like, you know, 20 years. We're talking, you know, they're not as old as the pyramids of Egypt. But uh, there are these pyramidal structures all over. However, to this day, nothing comes even close to the technological engineering, in my opinion, of the pyramids of Egypt. Um, there's going to be people that debate that. That's totally cool. But there's a lot more reasons than even just the structure. It's also thinking about the complex types of stones where they towed these granite stones in, the underground complexes, the fact that they're connected all through uh, <laughs> Egypt, that what they're finding now, since the days of, you know, when Robert Schock first came out or John Anthony West, what they found since those guys were out there in the front lines. Uh, is is mind-blowing enough so there's layer upon layer of mystery you know thinking about even just how they got these megaton stones together in the perfect formation mathematically perfect that they did for those pyramids let alone where they brought them from you know some of them up to one hundred thousand kilometers away or miles away pink granite uh, red granite uh, blocks under the temple of luxor it's endless. Egypt is endless. And that's the place to start, right? Because then you realize, oh, there are these other pyramids. There's pyramids in the ocean in Japan, or allegedly there's an ancient structure in Japan we'll get to under the ocean. Um, there's other uh, places that they've been claiming they've been finding these pyramid structures. Bosnia, um, Bosnia the Bosnian pyramid. Uh, and then that's just adding to the other megaliths like the Kalisa Temple in India, you know, that's built out of a mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing about the mountain, the symbol and the symbol of a pyramid is that in every culture and civilization that's recorded anything, there was always a central mountain motif that it was like the mountain of the people that was there where they gathered, where they lived or it was close. The mountain was respected and loved, but also feared, you know, and especially in places where there was uh, lava and uh, volcanic type rock. Um there's even a whole forest in Japan, by the way, that they think a mm-hmm. volcano erupted uh, with Mount Fuji or something, and it it there's it's all this whole forest grew on top of all that ash. Huh. So many mysteries around the planet. There's another episode we could do, Josh, on cave systems, the caves all over the planet. That'll just blow your mind. Um, but the pyramids are symbolic on a level that I think because it was so ancient and it left an imprint on our consciousness. And we've spoken before about that whole idea of the symbolic memory of humanity that we have, you get into Carl Jung and all that, right? The, the uh, archetypes. Well, the pyramid, the mountain is one of those archetypes, the high mountain. I mean, it's in the Bible, the whole story of Moses going up to get the law from the mountain, the high mountain. I mean, if you go, there was an episode we did on unslave with Ralph Ellis talking about the pyramid where he'll tell you the story about how, <laughs> When you're talking Mount Everest, you're talking the Great Pyramid and not even just the Great Pyramid that we see. There is a whole book. There's a few books that have been written on it, actually. So it's a semi-official account, okay? So it's not mm-hmm. quite in the official world, but it was high-level scholars and archaeologists. They found evidence through the texts and through certain ruins in Egypt of a missing pyramid, that there's a missing pyramid in Egypt. And this pyramid was actually a giant black pyramid granite pyramid. Hmm. This is very controversial to some, but not to others, because it's just fascinating to think of it. The reason I put more credence to this, aside from the fact that some of the people that told me about it are very, very in the know about what they've been discovering over there. Black pyramid that might have been either the same size as the Great Pyramid of Giza, but might have even been up to double the size. It's in the stories, it's in the accounts, it's in the legends. And um, we also have the other types of granite that were used, like miles of granite walls in Luxor, in Abydos, all these places in Egypt with carvings in them that they couldn't even reproduce with any of the primitive tools that they acclaim the Egyptians used. They eventually had to use like laser carving to do it. And it's miles of this wall with perfect carvings in it. Mm-hmm. So there's so many, so you think, well, maybe if there's a missing pyramid, does that tell a story? Um, so we've got pyramids that we know of, We've got pyramids that are missing. We also have pyramids that have decayed. So it's as if they mimicked what they saw. Because my, my belief with everything I've seen, and I could be wrong, but what I've seen is I don't think the Egyptians built the pyramids. I don't either. I, I, think, think, I think they moved in later because there's actually a really good book. I'm trying to find the author. It's called Before the Pharaohs. Before the Pharaohs. Look it up. I, I got to find the author. It's a really good book, and uh, it talks Think about before the pharaohs. What was there before the pharaohs? Well, they found all kinds of evidence of cultures that predated the pharaohs, and there's all the ruins and stuff that have been left. And the fact is that other pyramids and other structures were built later in the pharaonic period that haven't lasted the test of time, that were just mimicry of what they saw that are still standing there to test the time. Yep. So that's an interesting theory that goes into the ancient civilizations theory, right? That it was an ancient civilization that was lost that the people that built the histories that we know, the civilizations we know, they inherited fragments of this lost world, this lost ancient kingdom that is known about as the Atlantean Lemurian. My God, Asgard, pick your story you know it's all over the world. So that's me just kind of opening up. Think about it, 5000 pyramids just on this planet. Yeah, um you know, about Egypt. Firstly, the name Egypt is
1: not the original name of the place. That came about when I believe the Romans went to, when the Rome went to Egypt and they named it egypt and i forgot the reason why it was another city to the south or something like that but it was known as the land of chem or Kemet. and this is actually where we get the word el kemi right the word chemistry derives from this but the land of Kemet meant the land of the fertile soil Um, and i've contested this before that this didn't mean the fertile soil that once was in the uh, fertile crescent and it was utilized to grow crops because you know any historian or archaeologist archaeologists will always tell you that all this symbology, all this mythology is all about growing crops. That's This is what they're doing. They're all just growing crops. It's all about growing crops.
0: Growing um, It was growing crops, burials, <laughs> or yep. the kings built the, the pyramids to ingratiate their ego. Their That's ego. why they did it. Yeah. Even though the pyramids are not built on the highest point of the land, by the way, which you would do if we made yep. this point in the episode, would do if you were. So it's either they're egomaniacs, it was all for some kind of agricultural purpose, or it was tombs. Oh, come on.
1: That's right. But the land of the fertile soil is, I think that it meant the planet. The planet was actually Kemet. And I say that because it's got a life-bearing planet. And the, the fertile soil, I believe, the, the black fertile soil, is the skies of the night. Is all the tapestry of stars in the sky, which are the seeds of life. Which brings that the space around them is the fertile soil. Uh, And and so as well as what you just said there. I've used this analogy. Do you remember that show um, on, I think it was the History Channel or the Travel Channel, but it was called uh, After Earth?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I remember watching it, but I remember remember the show.
1: Yeah, they showed what would happen if a cataclysm destroyed the planet, if 85% of the population perished in an event, what would actually happen? And within the first 100 years, most of the stuff would be overgrown by vegetation. Within 500 years, the world as we know it would be right back to nature. You You would not be able to find anything. Um, one of the other interesting things they said is that if something happened on the coastal lands in the sense of a large tidal wave or, or a big flood because of the ocean waters rising, eighty five percent of the world's population lives on the coastland, and that the world population would perish. And if you only had fifteen percent of the population left, and you take into account doctors and engineers and scientists and physicists and and all these other different skill sets, is that we wouldn't be able to sustain our current population. Let alone our current way of life, even though we would have this technology for a certain amount of time, eventually that technology would go to the wayside because there's not people to do the maintenance, there's not people to build upon it, there's not people to make, uh, to reconstruct it, the, the, the information pertaining to how it was all built would be lost. And so I think this is what we start to see what happened in ancient Egypt. Uh, More or less, actually, what I think we see is we had remnants of an ancient society that probably lived there that was probably, um, you know, very, very old and they probably weren't reproducing. There's probably very few of them. And then you had some outsiders come in. Um, And and I attribute this to this story. Imagine if this happened right now to our world. If a massive cataclysm Meteoric impact and it takes out all the coasts eighty five percent of the population dies. the first hundred years we'd be trying to rebuild society and population, but with fifteen percent of the population that'd be incredibly difficult to do. Uh, we'd be forgetting about technology. we wouldn't be worried about ec- uh, education and academia. um we would have to worry about nuclear power plants overheating and and you know obviously melting down and all the different dangerous weapons and all these other things right um after 100 years, you know, we'd be telling our children different stories about what happened. Oh, I remember it like this. And grandpa remembers it like this. And mom remembers it like this. After 200 years, when it's the great-great-grandchildren telling the stories, those stories have now evolved in the myth. Kind of, oh, grandpa's telling that story again when the world used to be highly advanced. Oh, no, poor grandpa. After 500 years, when every, all the vegetation has taken over the whole planet, That story is a game of telephone that is five centuries long. And that story is so convoluted. It's written down in books. People talk about these these science fiction books and all these different myths and mythologies and all these different things about what life used to be. Like we had flying cars and they could fly through the air and we would go to the moon and there's a man up there and he's got cheese and all this shit, right? We would have all these weird stories because we want the the points of smiling, the points of happiness, the points of memory, right? easy to remember these stories if you can put them into some type of um, analogical or symbolic or mythological context.
0: And the ancients would use stories to pass history on. They didn't have massive libraries at their disposal. We're talking the most, most of the people, there was the elite circles, but most people, it was oral tradition, written uh, art. It was in the dance. It was in the dress. It was in the rites and rituals, the prayers, the religions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so What we see is, let's just say 500 years in the future, everything is completely taken over by nature. So let's say that this tribe is walking through New York City, right? And they don't know it's New York City, it's all overgrown with lush trees and forests and all this stuff. And the leader of the tribe sees something and he goes to investigate it, he falls into a hole and the hole just happens to be a garage from some dude who own, owned a Ford F-150. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, that he goes in there, and the Ford F-150, he, he opens the door, it's unlocked, and he pops down the visor, the keys pop out, he sees the key, puts it in, he turns it on, he... <laughs> let's just say it works. And he starts revving the engine. And all of his people are wondering what's going on. They hear the noises. And see, his people are telling the story of... And our leader, he went to visit the God, and the God and him fought, and they roared in the cave. He went into right? the underworld. And then he comes out on God's chariot, busts through, parts it. And they all bow their heads to the awesome power that he has. He has the the, the chariot of the stories of our people, and he rules over those people. For hundreds of years, his family rules over those people for hundreds, thousands of years. So eventually, that truck runs out of gas because you know every time that people got in line, they just turn it on, rev it up a little bit, and eventually, that truck just becomes a symbol. And they try to replicate the truck. They make they make little figurines of the truck. They make stone figurines of the truck. They they create symbols for the truck. They represent the truck in various different forms. But nobody is a, a mechanic. Nobody knows how to uh, refine gasoline. So they can't get it going again. They don't even know what the hell it is. They get the user's manual, but they don't speak that language. And see, I think that this is what happened with the current people of Egypt. That's who they are. All the That's a really that good is- analogy.
0: That's a really good, I've heard similar, like uh, the idea of of what it would be like if something happened to our time and that someone trips over a Coke can or yeah. a door of a taxi cab or something like that. And and you know they're trying to put history back together Oh what was it what what kind of theories would they profess about what who we were and what was going on did they even know something twi- like Twitter existed or that there was this whole thing like would we even have that recorded and and that's why when we look into the ancient myths and legends we can kind of interpret it any way we want there's so many interpretations but that's why you stick close to in my opinion the the people that had they put the most dedication in, and they put almost like a love into the work. It wasn't just this observational materialist. Oh, we're just studying those primitive people of the Egyptian. Like, no, it, it was a, it was the understanding of, um, well, aesthetic philosophy, the idea that there was there was something beautiful and wondrous about these ancient ruins. This was a point we tried to really drive home was that ancient man didn't only build structures for purposes of survival especially if there was a high civilization which wasn't just fleeing from all the predators and all the wars and all the poverty and i think that's how we always imagine it right but if this was a high civilization just as we build skyscrapers and buildings go look at uh abu dhabi for crying out loud that's art all right like even though we know the whole corrupt yeah, forget that just look at the the structures and what they've built look at all over the world look at the the, the museums and the and the the temples and the churches and cathedrals like the look at the beauty of it the the architecture of it well you don't just build something only for one purpose
2: mm-hmm.
0: the human being has a creative spirit we're also trying to mimic the creative spirit of nature right because we're we are that we sense that there's a divine connection between us this creation and the universe and what we call the all spirit God however you want to look at it. And so we want to express it. So humans do things for more purposes than just this practical, you got to escape the bears and the trolls. Like there's that, but then there's also the aesthetic, the alignment, the mathematics, the, the way it's it, it left an imprint on people's minds that yep. these were built by the pharaohs. These were built by the gods. These were built by a, a, a more advanced humanity. These were however people want to look at it, you know? Um, it, and that's what I want people to also remember with all this is that bring the fat, the love of it with you, bring the curiosity with you. Don't let your brain put the brakes on every time you hear something that contradicts what you've heard or that you've never seen before. Let, you know, and don't be so uncritical that you just believe everything you're told, but for crying out loud, let's have some air and some room to breathe and grow instead of when you go to these universities and schools and they bash you over the head with, it's just primitive cultures putting up some stones just because, you know, they worship the trees and the moon. And uh, it's just coincidence that it's exactly pie, you know, like forget that. It's amazing. So that said, Josh, we got, um, I mean, pyramids. We we showed the photos from secretmars.com. That guy is, that sent me his website, that gentleman sent me his website with all the photos that he'd collected. You know, we got into Hoagland. We got into that whole chapter just to show you guys that theory, whether you love it all or not doesn't matter we're putting theories on the table here and it's the idea that this advanced civilization that we talk about and know about i mean it's even made it to the joe rogan show everybody knows about it by now the ancient civilization of humanity that's been lost Mm -hmm. but we're saying yeah but what if it wasn't just on the planet what if the solar system might have been involved it must have been a bigger project there's a bigger humanity a greater family a greater history to be told this is just an idea so um any points there you want to throw at me
1: Life here began out there. You know, I I think that that's important to understand because, um, you know, I, I've been getting into Dr. Joseph Ayer a lot and, and he believes this as well is that humanity did not start on this planet, let alone this solar system. And, um, <laughs> you know, when, when we start to think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense that, uh we start talking about this epic battle and these various different weapons, but it's just life. I don't, I don't believe life here started here. I think it started out there. And I think there's so many various uh, uh, things that you can reference just to prove that. Uh, And we've touched on it every single episode of this. And I think that what we're building is we're building this pile of, uh, of, of evidence uh, of things that are known what they are. You know, we we don't have these answers, but we have these mysteries that we're looking at. And they're telling a story that is completely different from the modern day story of what we're being told. And to keep in mind that the modern day story of what we're being told is coming about through institutions that are lying to you on every day of your life about various aspects of academia, medical science, um politicians war money i mean you you how much does it cost to get a uh, economist to go on the cnn and say the economy's doing great joe biden's awesome right it, like that's the thing is these people are lying to you every day these are people with high level degrees from ivy league universities we got you know we
0: have uh and sorry just one point there yeah, even if ahead. they are themselves convinced even if yeah. And we're not throwing it all out. See, we're just trying to add to the discussion. Like if we're going to be looking at this like detectives try to unravel the mysteries of the past, which is a tall order for anybody, okay? Um, you can't just say, oh, I'll just read six books that yeah. all agree with each other and I'm going to have the whole picture of it. Come on. Again, the dump truck of books that we could be sending to your door to start getting you acquainted just with the basics of the differences of different ways with an equal amount of evidence to back it up that were written by geniuses, okay? Not just some Joe Schmo in the donut shop. Geniuses, high-level academics. I mean, even, man, it's unbelievable. And when you put that on the table and you go, okay, there are many ways to look at this. not just one way. And even the way we're trying to talk about here is not the only way to interpret it all either. And that's what's great about it. So if we're saying, okay, humanity... you could also, if you, if people don't want to think that we were brought only here, like we, you could also look at it like, well, life blossomed here. Like Alan Watts, one of my favorite philosophers, he used to say, um, the earth peoples, the way that, a a tree apples, like when an (laughs) apple tree blooms, it apples, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the, we're like the plant. We're like the fruit of the planet. We, the earth peoples, It, it produces life. That's how we looked at it. And so well, what if the whole galaxy, you know, what if life blossoms just as it blossoms in every cell and every part of your body, it blossoms everywhere in variety of forms. And there's a, a seeding that took place across the universe. Like there's life, across, just like there's life in the oceans and every, there's different countries with different kinds of people and all over our own planet. So it, life expands outwards and um, we're just taking an unlimited, more infinite view of it than limiting it to only one place and that's the difference but that's that's what makes this exciting and at least gives you a different perspective
1: yeah uh, agreed and and i know some people are out there as uh uh, explain how humans adapted the earth josh um well we didn't You, you can't look directly in the sun like every other species on this planet your skin burns in uh the sun they claim that that's because we grew up in the Deeply dense forest, but even the forest animals are all furred up and their eyes adjust directly to the sunlight. Um, there's nothing about our genetic profile that says that we grew up on this planet. If you actually take a human being and you throw them in the space and they realize this when they sent the astronauts to the moon, did you know that their circadian rhythms? I think this is Mike Barrow saying this is that their circadian rhythms switch from that 24.25 hours, whatever it is, the 29.5 hours, which just happens to be the time of a solar day on Mars. So yeah, no, I, I can explain how humans adapted here on earth. They didn't. <laughs> Not well, evolutionary, but adaptively, yeah, we did. We we had to survive, so I think we adapted here. Um, well, but I don't all life think adapts. That this,
0: yeah, yeah, all life adapts.
1: I, at least I don't think that this is the home planet of uh, of our race. Maybe there was an indigenous race here that is much more adept to this planet. And I think that if we go and, and look at various other tribes on this planet, we can start to begin to see this. If we can look at other human – humanity is a very, very diverse, culturally diverse, as well as genetically diverse uh, civilization. I believe it was actually the Aborigines. Is – you know that chromosome 2, the genetic mutation in chromosome 2 of the, of, of the uh, human chromosomes?
0: With the Aborigines?
1: No, no, no. So uh, human beings. So chromosome two, we have this kind of like folded over chromosome. It looks like it was altered in some way. You know, Mm. the aborigines don't have that. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that interesting isn't it but so this is the thing is i don't think that we evolved the most well i think we did obviously because we, we grew up here but i'm saying that humanity's origins i think expand way beyond this planet uh someone said that we've we we started here and we seeded many other planets that could be very possible but if we started here many it was ways at to a look time it. yeah it was, it was at a time when the sun was way way dimmer on the surface of this planet it was probably because the solar system was in all different positions because of a, gi- a giant cataclysm that happened, which moved everything around.
0: Right. Well, and and what you're saying here is there's actually a book that I can recommend to people. It's called We Are the Children of the Stars. Yeah. And the title is not some new age hippy-dippy stuff. Uh, this was actually written by two top academics that basically put a challenge towards evolution in Darwin. And on their journey of challenging Darwin, especially when it comes to the human race, is, uh, and it's actually a very balanced book, like they give credit to Darwin and all that for where they think as a science, as science, you know, for microevolution and all that, but they have a, they're like, it all stops when you look at human beings, because now all of a sudden we are the anomaly on the planet. And they have a, I think it's a whole chapter or at least half the chapter is a list of all the anomalous features of human beings. There you go. Compared with every other living organism on the planet, and when you really get into the fossil record and find that everything just shows up fully formed, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's missing, and that's where we got to get the Michael Cremo on here, um, and many others. But this book, just for that person who's asking the question, you know, just to entertain this theory is a possibility, right? Yep. That um, there are great minds that have speculated on this. It's not just a couple guys sitting here on a live stream. All right, this is, Which I are get great other, minds. Absolutely, <laughs> come on, absolutely, come on. But uh, I'm talking about um, for those that would look at it and go, "What are you guys, a couple podcasters?" No, no. First of all, we've been doing this a while, and second, I point to the people that did this for a living, and it's just amazing to hear them comment on this because they'll have a totally different way of explaining it. And so that's a good book. It's called "We Are the Children of the Stars." Let me just get the uh, Otto Binder and Max Flint. Otto Binder and Max Flint. You can get it on Kindle. I recommend it on Kindle. It's really easy to read, and uh, it's just it it, it basically throws a whole bunch of challenges at everything mainstream. And I love I love books like that.
1: Yeah, me too. And I'm gonna pick that one
0: up now. Now while we're while we're here, Josh, this might be a good place. I want to play this clip that I uh, asked, I asked Michael for permission to play this. It's a clip from an Unslaved episode that we did it. on. It's the first episode that he and I did on the Pyramid of, of Egypt. And I love this clip. It's about 10 minutes. So you guys can sit back, grab some popcorn and enjoy this. um, And please go check out the entire series. This episode alone is over three and a half hours. And each episode in that series is about the same. And there's about six episodes just getting into the pyramids of Egypt. So there's a lot there. But let me just roll this clip real quick. And then Josh and I'll come back. And Josh, I'd love your thoughts on it.
1: Awesome. Let's do it.
0: what we've been told is missing information or a complete crock of lies then yeah you're going to be called the conspiracy theorist and let them call us that because then you got to go well let's just let the facts speak for
2: themselves right exactly uh you must be as open to conspiracy theory as the science what's wrong with this imbalanced picture when you see more than if i can rattle off 10 5 right? Oddball anomalies. Like I've done, like you said, go back to my Atlantis work, you know, the crystal skull, the anomaly, you know, whatever it might be, I list them off in reams on that program. But even if you only took one-tenth of those anomalies, you know, the history of language, right? The the Tower of Babel, the pyramid itself, the the procession of the equinoxes, I could go on. The mystery of the major arcana, right? What tells you that science has answered any of that? Science has answered practically none, none of that, right? The role of the goddess tradition, well, there's a big one. We don't live for two, 300 years, do we? So science now is going to, science hasn't even started addressing issues that, that pertain to Egypt. You know, Champollion after he, you know, Rosetta Stone, you know, 15 years later, Howard Weiss was, you know, digging through and said he found some hieroglyphics in the pyramid that, as we'll talk about later, turned out to be a fraud, and therefore the dating, but, but it wasn't considered a fraud, so all the dating of the Khufu pyramid, the big one, you know, came from his discovery. False from the start. The first man entering it was a fraudster. So if I can rattle off a couple of points like that, what puts your faith in science? You should have faith in science. And as I say, don't throw out what they're saying, because a lot of it's really good. And you always want to be aware of the alternatives, you know, subjects to things. And so it's a balancing game. What I'm really addressing the fact is that when insiders who are already left, as you say, the ones who've left that coterie, who broke the silence, I'm putting a lot of investment on those people because they're part one foot in the science world, you know, or some of them are anyway. And, and they've gone off into the alternative way, like a Robert Shack, just use his name as one example, but Christopher Dunn and there's many others as well. Uh, there's Malinowski, who's a top engineer who went to study Egypt. So there's many who come from these top Harvards, top Smithsonian's, and they cross over. Some stay within the, the you know, the, the think tank of the norm official them and others break away. But then when those people have to always mousey pan their statements, but I'm oh, a conspiracy theorist, it's shit. Right. It's like you you've busted my faith, you motherfucker, because you should be a conspiracy theorist. Because you're on the front line. And if you haven't found out what lies there are with these zahi Oasis and all the rest of it and all the centuries of life, then I don't get that statement. What that tells me is what you've just said, they're after keeping their you know themselves uh they 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 want to maintain the parking spot. Yeah. They still want those three stripes because they're hungry to get on, you know, the mainstream channels and, and still uh, wallow in that. It's like, do you want truth or do you not? And the person who does doesn't mind being labeled anything. He doesn't mind turning up from the back door, the tradesman's entrance or, or whatever. Right. He doesn't need the red carpet to show up. He's he's there because he's got something important to say. And those are the men that I look to. Most of them, of course, died in poverty or were highly plagiarized, cannibalized and marginalized. But there we go. You know, it's that's life. But the thing is, there are anomalies there. and. This jostling for position that's happened a lot, you've got to, you know, people will see again by the time we finished our conversation here that you have to pick out, you know, the greater works. And I've done that for people so they don't have to spend the 35 years because it is exhausting to find out that in the hundreds of books written on this, which ones are of value, which ones are derivative, which ones are good, but still, you know, sort of hedging their bets, this kind of thing. And then more important even than that, is which ones really gave you a true insight into the truth. You know, was, was it aliens? Or is that just becoming another, you know, uh, headline to Indiana Jones it up so that people will get a viewing audience? Or is there actually something to that? What about the little people, right? You know, that's not headline. There never will be. But still, do we throw it all out? The, the Egyptians sculpted and drew nothing but little pygmy figures. Half their gods were shown as children. Horus as the child. Mm. Is it a child always and every is into the world? Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm questioning. So it's like that, remember, that Rubik's Cube turning around again. That's what I do in my work. I think it's valuable, but I know it's exhausting for a lot of people. But they're this thing, the pyramid, for instance, stands there, you know, 500, you know, almost feet, almost 480 inches uh, feet high, you know, 2.5 million blocks, some of them weighing 2.5 tons each. Nobody can today work How A crane could lift that. Today we'll be addressing that how that might have been achieved. You see, and, and 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 there it goes. So you have to ask yourself then a question: What is in fact the official line on why it got created? And immediately you find yourself in a swamp of lies, right? Just like you said, because the the consensus is that um, it was built for some pharaoh's ego. See, look immediately look what they hand you, right? Now here's here's a here's a, a history of Egypt is so long that all of our ages from the post Egyptian period to today shrink. Like Egypt's history is actually three times longer. You're talking about a vast age. And yet all these pisspots pots can come up with is that the pyramids were built at the command of some egomaniac called a pharaoh.
0: Like these people didn't have anything better to do.
2: <laughs> right. Look at how they're demeaning Egyptians, number one, right? An Egyptian patriot like Mustafa Gadala, for instance, we'll be talking about him later. One of my favorite authors on the subject. How do you feel that they feel about that? They hear such absolute nonsense, right? When in fact, you you know, once you really realize the sacerdotal reason for the building of the period, it's even more foul, right? To, to hear something sprouted like that. It's, it's absolutely foul. But of course, if you go to Egypt, i have never been myself, but studying assiduously, um, you find out that wait a minute, if it was for the hubris of the of the of the pharaoh who built it, why is it not why is the inside chambers not absolutely scrawled with his own graffiti and the mm. cartouches pertaining to his name? There isn't any. That's only the few the few scribblings that were found turn out to be frauds. How come it is that you know the Nile goes like that, right? There's a valley and then it kind of goes down to the Nile? Right? The pyramids are built on the lower slopes. Can't remember the actual technical name for that slope when it goes down, there's a name. Escarpment or something like that, right? Meaning that there's higher ground just over the Nile. Well, then an egomaniac pharaoh, one of many who has constructed not only the Sphinx, but the two or three other pyramids there, wouldn't at least one of them, including the one who did the mega job, build it on the higher ground if he was an egomaniac to overlook the rest like we would do? <laughs> Tell me one corporate jack today or royal figure or pope. But he had the ego. Right. When he didn't build it, where every other jackass egomaniac would build it. I think we're getting confused. I think, I don't want to look at this anymore. It's getting a bit confusing. So they, it's confusing because you've been handed lies. The egomaniac builds on the hill overlooking L.A. The pharaoh didn't, if a pharaoh even built it, which is another thing, hmm. right? So the point being, did did pharaohs of all, of any dynasty that we know because if it turns out that this thing was only graffitied by later pharaohs and desecrated by do did you realize that the pharaohs were also pretty much desecrators of their own tomb, uh, not of their own, but but of Egypt's many st- monoliths? They went and scribbled their own cartouches on on buildings that had nothing to do with them. Now, that's a huge piece. I don't know if people realize that. That means that, that you're coming later. You're entering into places already built and then stamping your own you know, signature on it. But that tells us then you didn't build it. And that's what's sort of unofficially accepted now, you know, or semi-officially accepted, but they don't know what to make of it. Because to make of it means that you've got to go back to a much earlier, earlier period that really saw the construction of these things, you know, the Shamsu whore. And, the, you know, they don't want to go into all of that because that's that's blue-eyed, bearded white man, you know, territory, which is the biggest taboo. You think, oh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You better become one because if I was to throw at you that anomaly, you'd, you'd be one by default. How do you explain that? Well they won't they won't explain Velikovsky's comets, they won't explain any of that, which is the Bible's full of it, right? Which pertains to Egypt, like the ten plagues. They never talk about that. They never talk about comets and craters. And if they do, it's only an extremely sleight-of-hand way, and they will not speak of a presence of uh, you know, the, the Arya, you know, in, in sort of pre-dynastic times. But that's what just just going back to that simple point of trying to fool people. And kids who are fascinated there, or people who have gone to Egypt to take a look at it and go, "Wow, that's incredible!" And then the first thing you look up in the pamphlet is, "Well, that was just the ego of the man who built it." Well, and they no, say, "Why doesn't it say?" Why doesn't it say? Let me just finish this point. Wouldn't what would the brochure say to you? You know, because that is what I'm talking about is mm-hmm. what the official books say. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine for a moment that you, you you had you know to the world the book said the pyramids were built as a giant middle finger to time. Older than time, a Plutarch or who was it, Plato or somebody said, I can't remember who it was who said it, that man fears time, time fears the pyramids. You see the difference in what you're awakening in somebody, the wonder, the majesty of it, and go fuck. It's, a, it's built for the ego. And then they can't even back that up because they can't tell that the, the king that they've ascribed to or attributed to the building of the there's no no evidence whatsoever, apart from some mortuary temple outside or some mastabas nearby, right? They can't even back up their own statement. But what I'm saying is look at what that does to your brain when you hand that reductive nonsense to people. Wouldn't it have been much better to poetically say, what a what an amazing you know uh, structure, and then start getting into say the sacred geometry of it, even a little bit, even a beginner's guide. You know the for du- pyramids for dummies at least that would awaken people's fascinating interest the pi ratios in there the pi ratio and so on wouldn't it be better to do that
0: all right i love michael he's got a great
1: mind man you're muted dave
0: there we go. Yeah, I was just going to say, right. yeah. And he gives it with an uppercut. I love it. Um, and just, but what I, I was just trying to highlight that, that it's the mystery, it's um, the history, the fact that he's, show, he's talking in there about a few different theories that it all could have come from, but also saying, yeah, what if it wasn't even the pharaohs? What if we get into the history of these mummies that are found buried in Egypt that have red hair, bardic, you know, garb, uh, their tombs date, predate some of the pharaohs. Um, Are we dealing with advanced civilization, remnants of advanced civilization that was left there? Why are there uh, princesses from Egypt buried in Ireland, right? Is there Mm -hmm. a connection between the Druids and the Pharaoh, Pharaonics and the history? Is there a connection between all of those ancient peoples and these other worlds or what may have happened? Um, He was talking about the commentary, the cataclysm theory, but also saying, yeah, well, what if there's an extraterrestrial component to it, Right. And all these pieces are just there to show you there are many other ways to look at history and time and the world and the evidence. And there's so much evidence you've not been shown. It took me, Josh, it's taken me 20 years to go through it. And I still feel like a white belt, man. I, like, I'm sure you yeah. feel the same sometimes. And, but I love that. I don't ever want to be like, oh, I finally got it all nailed. Like, to me, I just love the journey of it, you know? Well, I would love to know the truth. But of course, um, (laughs) but on the way, let's have fun, right?
1: (laughs) Right. But on the way, you know, happiness comes about in the pursuit. Um, Right. You know, on top of that, and I think the biggest problem here, anytime anybody looks at Egypt, and like you said, we have the Egyptian princess that was buried in Ireland. We have. we have the Egyptian runes that are in the Grand Canyon. We had the redheaded, uh, you know, tall guys that were buried in their, their coffin or their runes were found in Egypt. This is the problem is we all center it back to a geolocational place, Egypt. Right. So when we find this tomb of this Egyptian woman in Ireland, we go, this doesn't make any sense. This is not geo- geographically right, I correct. See what
0: you're yeah, but
1: here's yeah. the thing is the Kemet wasn't, it was a civilization. There's 5,000 pyramids on this planet that have only been discovered, okay? Which means that the technology of that culture, of that society, of the grand planetary society, is spread throughout the entire world. We, we got pyramids off the coast of Cuba, which, which have the same similar design function as the ones in Egypt. We have pyramids off the coast of Japan, as you know. They have the same similar design function as the ones there. Why are they all pyramids? Why yeah, are that's they all a, that's a question.
0: Well, and okay, let, this is the crystal of it, isn't it? Or the what's the word? Well, this is the crux of it. Is um, <laughs> no pun intended with the the Anki we're talking about. The crux. Um, let's bring in this component, Josh, right now. The fact that this symbol is used. By cults, by secret societies, by MI5, MI6, by Hollywood, by these Illuminati, you know, starting with the Bavarian Illuminati's in Germany, which did exist, folks. Forget all those people like, oh, you believe in the Illuminati? <laughs> the Illuminati believes in you. <laughs> um, and it didn't just start in Bavaria and Germany, by the way. And you got, but why would they select that symbol? It's in masonry. It's in it's I mean, why are there obelisks in all your major cities? I live in British Columbia, Canada. It's supposed to be indigenous history, you know, the native peoples, the first nations of Canada, and then, you know, some settler. Well, there's, there's obelisks in, in Victoria. There's, there's Egyptian symbolism all over the world as, as if the remnants of that lost. And if, if you think of Egypt as like the later version of what was left in Atlantis, right? And what lies behind that. So it's like, what lies behind Egypt, right? Well, now we got, we're getting somewhere, realizing what you're saying, which is that, in the ancient times, it was a civilization, just like how people are digging up Atlantis all over the place. I found Atlantis. I found some ancient pre. Okay, <laughs> you're finding remnants of the lost empire, the lost civilization. Bad. Just like in there's Roman ruins in London, England. I went to the wall of what's it called in England, walking around, you know, the Cleopatra's needle, right? It's in England. What's it doing there? What's it doing in Washington, D.C., this obelisk? What's it doing in Vatican City at St. Peter's Square? Wow. Well, you know? So here we go. It's a connection. And, and those obelisks, by the way, which they
1: say represent the great Osiris, actually are not masculine. They're, they're feminine. There is something in alchemy yeah. known as squaring the circle. And this is the natural aspect presented to the spiritual pur- uh, purification of perfection. And if you look at the dimensionality of the obelisks that you see in modern day, they're all square with a pyramid at the top pointed at the top okay if you look at all the phallic symbols pre uh d- dynastical egypt they're all rounded they're all rounded in circular actually like a real phallus which is a masculine phallic symbol and so this one has, has the circle squared, and we actually see this in the story of Isis in ancient Egypt when Osiris dies, and she melts him a penis of gold, and she gets impregnated with him so he can be resurrected, and nine months later, Horus is born. And so the creation of the modern-day obelisk is a feminine power tool, and it's a feminine symbolic representation that is derived from the primordial goddess Isis. But it's another story for another day.
0: Well, but, but this is what's fun about this subject, man, is yeah. that – the minute we start talking about it, it brings in everything because when we know that everything had an origin, all the stories you've ever heard, all the religions you've ever read about, all the symbols you see all over the place, why are they using ancient symbols in to sell you toothpaste, to sell you hamburgers, to sell you ideas, you know, uh, yeah. to sell you vaccines. Yeah. Like, what is this? Why is it all these ancient symbols? Somebody knows something about it. And so what I think is that we're dealing with the keepers of this knowledge. There are some who, as we've said before, we got to stop painting them all one brush. Okay. Mm-hmm. These are competing factions. Right. Remember that little bit from Mike Barrow. He's like the, the good guys are not who you think you are. They are the bad guys are not who they think yeah. you remember that. Think about it, guys. Like, we're just a little, you know, serfs trying to go figure out what's going on Game of Thrones up at the palace, all right? Um, but you go, what if... So I think that there's lost knowledge that is being preserved by positive secret societies, if you will, okay? Secret, not necessarily secret, like they're under underground tunnels and they're all, like, you know, secret, but just, you know, under the radar because they would get publicly, you know professionally destroyed. If they came out, a lot of these guys, they'll make movies, they'll make films, they'll write a book, um, and they'll tell it in like a myth. Uh, they'll tell it in a fictional sense. What is fiction, but myth. Okay. So it doesn't mean everything you're reading about in fictional books is, is not true. It's just based on a fictional story, but there's truth in it, right? Think of Michael Crichton. Think of these guys telling you truth within a fictional story. That's all ancient myths are. So they're telling you that that's how they're telling you the story. That's how they're telling you the knowledge to um, upgrade your mind and get past all of the fact checkers, trust me, the fact checkers didn't just show up in 2020, my friends. They've been here since the beginning of time. Fact yeah. checking. The think of the churches, the inquisitions, the burning, the burning and destruction of entire peoples, the the sequestering of texts and documents and monuments and cole- rare book collections that would cost millions of dollars in modern day to to acquire are. Taken away and hidden away. And there are guys that I think mean well and want to help upgrade humanity's knowledge, but can't do it directly. So it's indirectly that they do it. Mythological, esoteric, symbolic. And then there's the dark side, who's trying to control both the white squares and the black squares of knowledge on the chessboard. And that's the war we're watching. And that war didn't just start on this planet, and it doesn't end on this planet. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, going back to the symbology of the pyramid, which is also a, a tetrahedron, is, uh, you know, I, I know seismologists have gone out to the Great Pyramid and they've done a lot of stuff. But, we you know, what if this was an icosahedron, a double pyramid, and one below ground as well? I've always thought about this. Is it, mm, it, like it, an underground. Just, okay. Yeah. So there's a pyramid underground and there's one above ground and you have an icosahedron, which is one of the, the uh, plutonic solids, right? So, this would make a lot of sense. Now, here's the thing about the pyramid or the pyramids around the world. And this is something about their structure and architecture that I think it needs to be pointed out because this gives away a lot of credence to Dr. Joseph Farrell in the sense of his Giza Death Star theory.
0: oh, and just to pause that because I want to make sure people yeah. know what you're talking about. and, we are trying our best to get Dr. Joseph Farrell on. Or I have a feeling him. he's traveling right now, so we're going to get him. But uh, GizaDeathStar.com is his site. He's written, I don't know, 50 <laughs> books? The yeah, guy writes every – and, and they're all like masterpieces. So go check him out, um, and let's let's pray we can get him on the show.
1: Yeah, but his theory um, – go back to our first episode and listen to what I talk about in the Numa Elish In the sense of Tiamat being, I I said that it was Mars. Mars could have been a moon of Tiamat. Tiamat was either a planet that was destroyed, but through a big war that happened a very, very long time ago. And he concurs this theory. He brings this theory about, well, very well researched. But he also believes that the Great Pyramid was the weapon that was utilized to destroy that planet. And here's the thing. And this is where it gets interesting is the pyramid used to be covered with uh, white limestone, polished white limestone. That's right. And they believe that it had some type of hollow point crystal at the apex there. Use the focus energy.
0: Now, yeah, what's when, there? The capstone? That the was added. Yeah, yeah, that
1: was added. And, and so you have a mixture of limestone and granite, limestone, and granite. What's interesting about limestone is, limestone is limestone is actually composed of old uh, oceanic basalt, right? So it's, there's organic materials that are composite within the limestone. Do you remember a guy by the name of Dr. Wilhelm Reich and his mm-hmm. studies on orgone energy and orgone accumulators?
0: I'm so glad you brought him up. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so what are these pyramids really? They're orgone accumulators.
0: A bioenergetic system. That's, yeah. Like a bioenergetic, or a, well, I guess bio would refer to like an organic, like a body, but like a natural organic computer. Like, sil- what's a computer made of? Silicon. Silicon. Right? Where do you get silicon? What's, gr- what's granite? It's a mineral. Silica. It's granite. Yeah. 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 So you can go all over Ireland and there's silica covered rocks that are massive, all stacked together, literally all over the place. So, yeah. anyways, so- that's where your computers get made
1: yeah, well, so I'm looking at this is that what if the so by the way, everybody needs to understand what the thirty third parallel is is all of these pyramids throughout the whole planet you can find organized within the thirty third parallel, okay? As well as you start seeing some sacred geometry as well as sacred numbers show up in reference to these pyramids. So they weren't just planet killing weapons. I think what they were is I think that they were a I think they were an internet. I think that they were a, uh, a system of travel, Stargates, operating Stargate. I think they're a system of energy production as well as a system of planetary defense. And I do believe that they were consciously controlled. And this is why we do see all the sacred geometry that is attributed within them because consciousness itself has a certain vibrational resonance. Our planet has a vibrational resonance. Our alpha state of mind, which I think that we're supposed to be in continuously every day, that is our natural brainwave state, is between that seven and 14 hertz, which is also uh, attributed to the Schumann resonance between seven and 14 hertz. And I think that a lot of these pyramids were all. Organized, they basically resonated at varying different frequencies or resonant, depending upon the ley lines of which they were organized. But together, they formulate this massive web of of intelligence controlled by consciousness, which were utilized to amplify. Consciousness. Now, think about what Dr. Stephen Greer has said in the sense of these UFOs that he calls in through their meditations, that these are consciously controlled technologies, that these things are t- tuned in the consciousness, that even if you go into uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Fred Adair or not Fred Adair, but uh, Dr. Adair, we talked about him briefly uh, last week. He, he's the one that worked on the advanced propulsion systems and saw this Leviathan type of propulsion system at Area 51 or S4 when he went there and the government took him there. And this guy's a legitimate college professor, legitimate propulsion professor who came out and told this massive story, which makes no sense unless it really happened. And he said that these things are consciously controlled. So what if we had a technology on this planet, which was an integrated web, like an internet that basically linked everybody's consciousness together to where you could access an Akashic record, which existed within this hyperspace dimensionality of time and space that you could go in there and you could open a stargate with your consciousness and transport over to Mars or, or Tiamat or another planet or another galaxy right? That it utilized the same variations of resonance that our sun, and this is where it basically applied its energy through through entanglement theory as well, and that, this, th- that it could also be utilized as a defense system for this planet or a weapon against other planets. Think about if a billion p- people focused their energy through this massive pyramid amplifier, and that energy was massively thrown and projected towards another planet. Now you're talking about torsion field, hyperdimensional physics, Richard Hoagland, and what potentially blew up Tiamat. so this is this is my theory that I've been working on for a long time, but I think there's enough evidence out there to support this.
0: Well, I mean it's at least ap- I mean it, this is why when you get into the technological side of it, right? with mm-hmm. these pyramids as to they have a function. there was a there was a machine element to it. there was a a consciousness element to it. I mean, if some of that stuff sounds far out to people, just for your speculation, think of it like this. What does your computer do right now? Imagine that you could do everything your computer does essentially, right? Which is what does a computer do? It transmits and receives signals and it interprets it. It's interpreting numbers, right? And codes and the sort of backend that nobody sees. Like when you look at Facebook or Twitter or this podcast, you're seeing numbers and pixels all coming together right at these different things this is actually a fake thing that you're looking at but it's in real time because of the internet and this computer system that we have that's sending all this signals and data back and forth so what if at least at some point in time maybe some of this ancient these ancient ruins and the ancient knowledge the real alchemical knowledge the real geomantic knowledge the real um Spiritual and psychological and bioenergetic knowledge that would have been held by these advanced civilizations. Let's just go with this theory, right? Um, that they didn't build MacBook Pros. They upgraded you to do what a MacBook Pro does, yeah. which is to connect to the internet and connect to other minds and transmit signals and receive signals and understanding the universe is conscious and nature is conscious and you're conscious holy crap, right? Like you just think about that. So don't think technology in the way Hollywood has always shown it to you, although I'm for some of a Star Trek version of this, right? But um, think also that the ancient technology was not what we look at as tech. It wasn't like this type of technology, right? The This computer is the conduit. What if you are the conduit? That's the difference, okay? And what they would do is use ancient structures monuments alignments with planets stars etc to create that field the ley lines the salt lines the templars knew this shit they yeah. built all their cathedrals on these lines so you can sit there and go oh it's crazy the, the people running the world and running the banking world they believe in they know this shit at the top so if it's good enough for them right yeah. so there's a lot there man and that's why i say this is us trying to peel through all these layers and mysteries and labyrinths and dusty old attics full of these old books and these old ideas and try to put them all on the table and see if anything sticks because what we're told doesn't make sense. My 10 year old daughter can tell me the holes in a lot of the theories she's learning on like some of her school about this stuff and she's young and she just intuitively knows it doesn't make sense. And so I then take that and we explore together other ideas, but That means that there's other explanations. And um, I think that's important so that it frees you to go. You don't have to go bow to some priest or some academic to tell you the truth. You can go and develop the faculties to go learn it and figure it out for yourself. Now, this is a perspective that I want to give people. Right.
1: And it's typically a perspective that uh, that happened to me uh, that I came out. I was in college. Uh, I was taking an advanced physics class. And we were watching the, um, this meeting, this seminar on the world minds meeting together, questioning whether the world, the universe is a simulation. And it was all these scientists going back and forth. And uh, at the end of it, we were sitting there talking about it. And the professor was asking about it. And he said, uh, does anybody see any problems with what was said here? And I raised my hand. I said, yes, I absolutely do. And he goes, well, what's the biggest problem? I said, well, they're talking in the sense that the universe itself is a simulation, but isn't that language contrary? Because we build technology today, which builds computer systems. This technology is built out of the materials from this planet. It's built out of molecules and atoms. It's the interactions, the forces, it's the laws in those atoms that are producing the effects within that technology. Which means that if the universe is a simulation, or it's simulation-like, we're utilizing the word simulation in a contrary speaking. What I mean to say is that what if a simulation is a very, very rudimentary reality? And that reality has properties of what we build of as simulations. In other words, the universe is a simulation but it's a highly advanced simulation that we call reality our technology that brings about simulations is a very very elementary and rudimentary rudimentary perspective of technology which means that the most advanced technology in this universe is the universe itself is the things that the universe creates naturally creates human beings consciousness rocks dirt planets These are the most advanced technologies in the universe, especially if the universe is comparable, in a contrary form, to a simulation. So therefore, when we start looking at the archaicness of these ancient civilizations utilizing stone technology, they're actually utilizing the technology of the universe, which is the most advanced technology in the universe, for their technological progression.
0: Well, does that make any sense? It does. No, I get, I get what you're saying. I'm going to pick some bones with the terminology, um, just for my, but I know what you mean by it, but just for the word simulation, just so people know. So I've had bones with people that come up and tell me that the universe is a simulation. This is very popular right now. This is what all the top scientists are into because they ignore consciousness or the fact that nature is conscious. Um, but a simulation, just if you look at definition, like just a dictionary definition is the act or process of simulating, an imitation, a sham, the assumption of a false appearance. And then etymologically, it means a false show, a false profession from the old French simulation pretense and directly to the Latin uh, in imitating, feigning, false show, hypocrisy. Right. And so to me to call the universe that this is where we're going to get into the difference. Honestly, if we want to talk Egypt, this is where you're going to get into the difference between the two schools that birth all ancient religions, which is Hermeticism and Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Those two schools that many share cross pollinating ideas and many are diametrically opposed on the base foundation of it. Because d- don't remember, there's Gnostic revisionists, okay, that honestly pluck a lot from Hermeticism and then try to copy and paste it onto Gnosticism but the old gnostic concept was that earth was a the universe was a simulation <coughs> it was a sort of sham that was created by the demiurge right as the as the show and it was the prison for the soul it was the prison for the soul and that idea that those ideas came out of ancient egypt and that idea actually a lot of pieces that went into the monotheistic religions etc but the hermeticists viewed nature as an extension or an expression or a conduit for God's the mind. all father, the God, right? The God, goddess, the whole thing. And so it was, a, it was a different way. It was an aesthetic view of nature. And that's why in Egypt, so people need to understand just because here's what's going to happen. And this was a, a warning Michael gave in that episode. When you get into studying ancient Egypt, you're going to stumble over a lot of books. And there's a lot of people that are going to try to tell you that the ancient Egyptians were into stuff that they weren't into. Okay, that ancient Egyptian, especially from the ominous priests, that was a hermetic concept of looking at nature as an expression of God. Mm -hmm. So, by studying the creation, this was how they thought. By studying the creation, we are studying the Creator. So we respect the creation. This is the Druidic concept too. We respect the creation because it was it's a extension of the Creator. And then man and woman are an extension of the creator. So by studying our body, by studying our mind, by studying the plants and the animals and the trees and everything, we're learning about God. That's how they looked at it. The Gnostic view came in and said, no, 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 guys. It's all a big illusion. It's all fake. You're in a snow globe. You're in a fake reality. It's a simulation. It's a sham. You're being lied to even by, and there's this whole concept you're going to see throughout a lot of these different things coming out. And it's easy to just trace it all back to those two different ideologies and realize where they came from Mm -hmm. you can decide what you agree with and what you don't but i personally look at i revere nature i revere the universe as being the authentic it's man's view it's our view that is the simulation it's our casting of our own illusionary concept of mind and nature and everything onto nature and then going it's a simulation yeah but your lens that you're looking at nature through is what the simulation is, right? I'm just saying because that's the difference. Right. Yep, right? I agree. That, that's that old William Blake thing. You know, man sees the world as himself. Man sees through the filter of himself, right? We yeah. filter ourselves. So just to understand, when we're looking at mysteries, <laughs> The first mystery to get through is what's right in front of your face, which is Josh the, and the law. Boaz. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Josh Ian and Boaz. But, but, it, but I wanted to make that parallel because we're talking about this ancient society that utilized stone monoliths and, and they utilized nature to build their paradise. And I want people to understand out there that in the Bible, when it says God has provided you everything, it's not lying is that we we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't need all these right. things that, that the highest levels of technology out there are already presented to us by nature, by the universe. It's already right there in front of us. And our ancestors most likely went through levels of high technological progression. I guarantee you they had AI supercomputers. They probably had flying vehicles, all this stuff. And eventually they just said, you know what? Look, we can do all this with crystals and stones and limestone and granite. What do we need all this other stuff for? And they realized that it was more powerful because it was derived from nature. It held the essence of creation within it and it wasn't synthetically made. And so there's actually
0: a good theory there, Josh, is that if if we're bringing in the whole Remember, we were talking about some of these far out there subjects over the last few episodes, if we kind of go back to this idea that, um, there is, there was ancient visitation on some level, right Mm -hmm. from, from elsewhere. That if we take that on board, we could look at it like the Earth, the organic Earth peoples had mastered the technology you're talking about, which is the nature technology, right? The, the technology of understanding consciousness, matter, and mind, right? Yep. And then what was brought in came from a technologically advanced, scientifically minded race that brought in the gizmos and gadgets version of technology. Mm-hmm. And that was alien to the original humanity. The original humanity, the ancient civilizations, the advanced civilizations were into what you're talking about, the high order of the universe, the consciousness factor, all of that. Um, and then the idea... Now, this doesn't mean, though, this to add another caveat, this doesn't mean that for me personally, I'm not demeaning advanced tech or modern technology. Modern technology is allowing us to do this. Modern te- There's so many great things. There's a place for science. There's a place for everything but not at the expense of the former, right? Mm-hmm. Like not at the expense of the true technology that you have all the infrastructure, right? The kingdom of heaven is within you. You have it all within you're an expression of that con- that nature, that's your technology, right? As the basic. And then from that foundation, yes, we can then integrate these other things. If we don't have that foundation of us to God, to nature, to the true, the truth, then um, that's when this transhumanist threat be- can become so dire of humanity getting sucked right into this physical techno Bill Gates, you know, Microsoft world. Um, that's a, that's the illusion. There's your, there's your sham. There's your uh, fake universe, metaverse, okay? That can lead us away from our true human self and away from what we call God. Agreed. And I believe the most
1: advanced technology created and developed in this universe is consciousness. And it's the fabric of time and space. It is the 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 thing that allows it all to keep going and be tied together. And I think that our ancestors in this ancient civilization knew this, and they designed their technology on the planet, which was naturally derived into various grids with um chi- uh, cymatic patterns within these grids, that would resonate conscious energy, okay, into various fields of resonance. And these various fields of resonance could easily be obtained by anybody who basically had the key to access them, like a symbol or a Mm. watch.
0: Cause it triggers you, it triggers, your it triggers you.
1: It's yeah. like my neural beats. It's like having a watch or something like that, or a symbol that puts you into a certain brainwave state, which accesses one of these higher levels of fields of vibration to which you can go in there. And it's like the Akashic records. Now I can go in there, I can pull out any information or one is for transportation. I can go access it. I can go in there and my astral body, I can pick where I want to go and boom, I manifest and it disappears. This is all, all these ancient stories and accounts of all these ancient masters, of all these various different things. What if this is what it was really trying to tell us? Is they're trying to explain a technology that a nomadic man 500 years after cataclysm or a thousand or five thousand or a billion years after cataclysm could no longer explain? And so they explained it in mythology and symbology and mathematics. They explained it through astrotheology, they explained it with cultural attribution or whatever. They explained it in a way that they only could, but now we are meant to go back and break it down. And what we see is we see the relevance of cymatic patterns. We see the relevance of frequency, of resonance. You know, the sun has a radius of 432,000 miles, okay? I've known this for a while. I've known this for a while. Now, what's interesting about that number 432,000? Did you know the Great Pyramid was built on a ratio of one to forty three thousand uh, two hundred mm-hmm. which is just one tenth smaller than the radius of the sun well that's kind of interesting you ever heard of four hundred and thirty two hertz right which is the vendiri e the vendiri a sorry uh the the whole length of the Kali yuga four hundred and thirty two thousand years the sumerians king's list when you add up all those times four hundred and thirty two thousand years like this is not a coincidence that these numbers are built into the fabric of our geometry into our, our, our our ancient civilizations. One of the other ones was, is that 43,200, you know where they get that number from in the sense of the, uh, the, the key to apply to the great pyramid. If you take um, one square longitudinal uh, minute, so if you got if you look at the the Earth and you you take the whole globe and you put it basically in, in little squares throughout the uh, on the equator, you go to the equator, you take a big square, you put it on there, and that equator represents one minute. If you take one sixtieth of that minute, which is a second, one second, okay, two seconds of transition of the Earth's rotation is one forty three thousand two hundredth of its full no rotation way. rotation. That's where that number comes from, and that just happens to be the same radius of the sun, four hundred thirty-two hertz, the the same length of the kalayuga, the same length of the Sumerian kings list. Okay, so when we start looking at this, was was this a representation of resonance of frequency? What did Tesla say? Those who understand frequency, energy, and vibration will understand the secrets of the universe. That's okay. It. How about this? I, th- this is another interesting thing I want to bring to somebody's attention here. And I know we got, we got, I know you want to touch on some topics here, but.
0: Oh, we got time, man. I, I you were making me think of Ed Lee the guy that made the Coral Castle in Florida. Yeah. Or was it Florida? Yeah. yeah, it's limestone. Yeah, limestone. Limestone, yeah. yeah. He but said about, the same thing. He said it was all based on the, on the Tesla yeah. concept of frequency and energy.
1: But how about this? The precise latitude of the center of the Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid 29 degrees, 58 minutes, 45.28 seconds, or 29.9792548 degrees north. You know what's interesting about that number? 299792458. Has anybody heard that number before? What if I said 299,792,458 meters per second, and I put a little C next to it? It's called the speed of light. Speed of light. The exact precise location in the center of the Grand Gallery inside the Great Pyramid is 29.9792458 degrees north. The exact numbers of the speed of light.
0: I guess uh, all the coincidence theorists out there. Better stand up because uh, we got some more mm. coincidences for you.
1: <laughs> Did
0: you know if you took
1: the height of the Great Pyramid, which is approximately four hundred and eighty-one feet, with the average of its bases, and by the way, it's four bases. There's there's two derivations of the bases. You have a socle, which is the inner internal base, and then you have the external base, right? And so they're at different various measurements. If you take the seven hundred and fifty-five point eight five feet, which is the uh, the uh, normally uh, approved by modern science, if you take 755.85 and you divide it by the height, 481, you get 11 over 7. You ever heard of the golden mean? Hmm. 11 over 7. 711.
0: 711.
1: That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's it's uncanny. I mean, when you start looking at this, that the the perimeter of those four sides of the Great Pyramid, four three uh, three feet, right, is one of them. The other one on the other side of it, right, is 3,023 feet. What's interesting about that, remember if I told you if you take one minute of latitude and longitude, right, and basically what it is is the Earth is actually uh, shorter north and south and longer east and west because it bobbles out at the equator, right? And that if you measure that one minute of latitude and longitude in a square, right, You get 6,045.881. That's the north and the south measure. So that's its length. And then you get 6,087.0941. That's east to west. If you divide that number by two, if you divide both of those numbers by two, guess what you get? You get 3,043.547 and you get 3,022.940, the exact perimeters of both of the slabs that the Great Pyramid sits on. Which means that the people who built the Great Pyramid would had to have known what one minute of arc of latitude and longitude was equivalent to. This, even if we just said this, this was four thousand years ago or three thousand years ago. Okay, you know where those numbers three thousand forty three and three thousand twenty two came from, in the sense of our of our modern knowledge. This is how you calculate the perimeter, right? But did you know in nineteen seventy or uh, nineteen seventy two? A geological survey of satellites around the Earth actually calculated one arc of latitude and longitude to be 6,045.881 meters per second. And then you had 6,080, sorry, feet per second, 6,087 feet. So that was satellite-based technology that calculated that one minute of arc second, that one minute of arc for the Earth, that one square of the Earth, which was... Absolutely, if you divide that number by two, you get the two base perim- perimeters of the Great Pyramid. This, this isn't a coincidence. <laughs> no. This is a and, technology far beyond the precision of anything that we've ever known.
0: Yeah. Like, it's the idea that a bunch of guys got together and were like, hey, uh, the Nile is low right now, so let's just spend all of our time hauling multi-ton rocks well, of course, they were ordered to allegedly own oh, yeah. pharaohs, right? Let's go, let, let, let's put these slaves to work, Josh. Let's go get them to haul multi ton rocks from quarries thousands of miles away. Uh, let's go send them on e- uh, escapades to Europe to go chop down trees and then bring those trees over to Egypt. And then we'll make a bunch of logs and they can roll those big. Ton- the minute you start going into it and you look at the fact that, however, they did it, they also mm-hmm. lined it up like this and put those slabs exactly where they did in the king's chamber at that exact elevation. Um, like, I got a few notes here too that say the Great Pyramid, you know, just a base is comprised of 2,300,000 stones. <laughs> wow. 481 feet, 481 feet in altitude. Its base is 13 square acres. There are multi-ton stones, some as large as 40 to 50 tons, such as the 100 pink granite stones placed in the King's Chamber. 100 -hmm. 100 pink granite stones in the King's Chamber, and they had to be elevated when they put them up. So they didn't just, like, tow them in and line the base. They brought them in from wherever, cut them, well, they cut them, brought them in, and then elevated them up. That's amazing. Which, by the way... If you start looking at the King's and the Queen's chambers,
1: this discredits the water raising theory. Mm. Have you ever heard of the theory about how they pumped water in yep. underneath the Great Pyramid and pumped it up to the top and they build the you can't build the outer walls until you had the inner structure and foundation actually built. And so you That's can't it. raise those blocks in the King's and Queen's chamber without a foundation already built, which they said they build it from the top down. So it can't work that
0: way. No, it can't. It, and that that theory I've seen that was that MythBusters or somebody tried to do that crap. It's a good theory. I mean, it, it's, it's a good theory. But good it theory. Destroyed. It's it better than they use fucking levers and. Cr- <laughs> it's yeah, we're getting closer. Um, could have just been giants, guys. Uh, so archaeologists say that the pyramids were built inside of twenty years. But if this is true, and slaves were working twelve months out of the year, three hundred sixty-five days, they would have had to place a stone every two minutes. So not only would they have to get them all from the quarry, have them cut, have them ready to go every two minutes nonstop for how many years for 12 months. So over a 20 year period. Okay. so look at the level of consistency you'd have to have for 20 years straight. You would have to have shifts of people working 12 months of the year, 365 days of the year. And you'd have to have them continuously pull one of those stones into position at a rate of two minutes per stone <laughs> consistently for ah, We can years. get it done. Yeah, it's a no big <laughs> deal. You can barely get kids to work a six-hour shift at McDonald's these days. Right. Some archaeologists will tell you that, although don't work at McDonald's, screw them. Some archaeologists will tell you that it was farmers and slaves that built the pyramids so they could only build when the Nile flooded, which is three months out of the year, which means they would have had to place a stone every two seconds. Before yeah. the Nile floods. So Maybe just we can get it done. Go, oh. Don't worry. Uh, no big deal. And that's <laughs> just the pyramids of Egypt. What about the Aztecs? What about the. Oh, and then I got to tell, I got to keep bringing it up because it really yeah. sticks out in my mind is this Kaliza Temple in India. Okay. One of these days we'll do some videos on it. Um, that one, uh, Bolvatsky talked about it. She did, there was the Talora Caves that were at in built in the base of that structure. And she said some of the the serpent brotherhoods would meet in these caves. and So is this, this the is, temple
1: that they're still finding rooms in? Yeah, and, and still they, finding like,
0: rooms. It was built out of a mountain. So if right. I said to you, Josh, let's get all our slaves to go find a mountain or just get a bunch of people together for this week and we're going to go find a mountain and we're going to carve this very intricate and one-of-a-kind beautiful structures and then build an underground cavern system with all these elaborate tunnels. Like... Guys, seriously, where where are we doing this today, let alone thousands of years ago?
1: So this is interesting. There's an article that came out a few months ago, how they just discovered a new room in the temple and they opened it up and there is like $800 billion worth of artifacts and gold in there. And they haven't even
0: begun to start going through them. Oh, I'm sure it's priceless what you'd find. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Indiana Jones. I want to go do that stuff. I want to go to the, Tolo- where was the caves? Do Hold it. on. There's Let's a- start. Let's raise the money and start doing it. You know, I was offered a show. This is a funny story. I'll tell you really quick. I was offered a show before the pandemic. I was offered a show or approached by a a production company from Toronto. Okay. Now get this. They're called Black Horse Productions. (laughs) All right. Smaller company, but big time in Canada. And they contacted me and said, we got an idea for a show. We want to build around you because they saw me on Ancient Aliens and Unexplained. And they were going to be like, okay, we want to send you to some jungles and we're going to go into caves mm-hmm. and you're going to stay there for like two months and basically go and spelunk throughout these caves because nice. they found it was the caves of lost was it the hold on it's the caves uh the teos caves have you heard of the teos caves no caveo de los teos the home of the ancient the lost ancient metallic library you ever heard of this shit what Okay. Uh, Dude, we're going to do another show. Next time we don't have a guest, I say our next show is caves and the catacomb earth concept. Okay. Uh, Um, because this is chaos. Look up the lost metallic library. Um, let me just see if I've got the quick little, okay. So essentially there was a priest. I'll just give you a real quick. There was a priest. I'm trying to remember his name. We, there's actually some guests that have been there that we could bring on. I know. I just have to f- remember their names. But um, there was this priest that held this all these artifacts from locals in the area. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they he eventually got some artifacts that were what he believed to be ancient Sumerian, Akkadian, Babylonian artifacts. Okay. And I've they seen. showed up in... So where is this Teos Caves? It's in... Uh, Latin America somewhere. I'm just uh,
1: The Andes Mountains in Morana, Santiago, the province yeah. of Ecuador.
0: Ecuador, yeah, there you go. So right in that area, right? Yep. Now, apparently that area, so just so you know, Neil Armstrong, went on an when he, yeah. he went on an expedition to the Teos Caves to see it. So they sent Neil Armstrong there. They sent a whole bunch of people there. They only went and did half of their expedition. They turned around, wrapped it up, left, end of story. The story continues where this priest collected all of these artifacts from locals that brought him stuff from these caves that were Sumerian artifacts. And it was called the metal library, the metallic library, because they were all just all these sheets of metal with all these uh, inscribed things on them. And there was a whole story in that culture of ancient giants that came to those shores carved out these cave systems and there's all kinds of ruins and treasure and artifacts and stuff that are still throughout these cave systems but you have to go so deep that a lot of people they've just never gone into these places but the one place they went allegedly, this is the story this was the whole point of the show was to go in and do all these episodes of me running around this village and interviewing people and trying to find stuff and go in the caves it was going to be the best show ever you know what happened? The guy was Okay. They were ready to go. Everything was lined up. I signed the papers. Okay. Ready to start planning this thing. Now it wouldn't have worked because of COVID anyways, but right before the, the producer calls me, he goes, so we came across your website and, uh, we noticed that you were talking about some things that kind of make us uncomfortable.
1: Oh God.
0: <laughs> and I guess turns out the lead owner is like woke city. Okay. Oh man. But the low, it was, it wasn't even him that wrote the script for this show. It was one of the other producers that just barely got it past the approval and got it approved. So this was like their big time to try to, but the main guy was super woke. So they didn't like that. I was posting like pro patriotic stuff and all the conspiracies and all the stuff like this. And they, they thought immediately they're like, Oh, this guy, you know, so I just went whatever. So anyways, they lost the best guy to go and do the show. But yeah. also, uh, now I want to do, because I, I went and did all the research for the show. So I've got all these notes on this thing that I would absolutely love to do in more of a podcast format, because that's it. the better yeah. way to do it anyways, because i they're be not going to awesome. edit it. it would be awesome. Yeah, no, I actually,
1: I I, I didn't know that, th- I seen the, uh, the Library of Metals before, uh, but I did not know that it was from that cave. So it's a that's cave. interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everybody's Dude. got their kind of opinion, but- I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. The guy wrote books on the giants. That's another chapter. The whole giant, all the bones, the giants all over. Um, anyways, uh, he Pino went Tumorla. up.
1: P- uh, well, that uh, expedition was oh, he- described in Pino Turola's 1970 book, Beyond the Andes.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where the whole legend sort of started, I think, mm-hmm. right?
1: Uh, Eric Vonnegagen wrote about it in 1973, yeah. The Gold of the Gods, and yanos Juan marcis claimed to have explored the cabos de Tios in and yeah. discovered mounds of gold unusual sculptures and a an metallic library um also found on again talked about it in chariot of the gods but uh man I, i've been to ecuador multiple times i wait i like wish i went like i went How and cool. saw like when we went to guatemala you know we went and saw the pyramids but nothing great like right? you can't you weren't allowed to go in them then right but I wish yeah. I saw more of the stuff. Damn.
0: Well, I, got, I've, I still want to go to Tulum. I want to go, like, there's so many. Malta, there's ancient, there's ancient massive multi-ton granite stones that are stacked, they're in Malta and they're actually not, they're in sarcophagi buried in the caves there, okay? There's places, Malta is apparently just a, it'd be a kick on a lot of fronts because it would fit into my Cult of the Medics thing. I want to go there and study the Knights yeah. of Malta. But the the history before them, that is part of that place in Malta is apparently just incredible. Uh, But guys, there's so many amazing mysteries and things on this planet. And that's why this is what this show is about is exploring this and then thinking, and then, you know, we, there's going to be speculation mixed with research mixed with other people's opinions mixed with books we've read, but that's what this is all about. We're here to figure this out. Um, One thing I was going to show people real quick, Josh, we got 90 seconds uh and i wanted some of the visuals there's a good little video it's 90 seconds lawns just showing you some of the different styles of pyramids that are all over the planet i thought you're saying so we we'll had just... 90
1: seconds left i'm like wait what
0: happened no 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 we got more <laughs> as long <laughs> as you want stay up all night but i got this one right here i thought would be cool um and then better break out the rum for whiskey yeah man. break out the get the oh, whiskey shit. going get the whiskey um let me do this one and then let me know just as you're watching guys in the chat and josh as well let see if anything strikes you with any of the styles of pyramids or the way, you know, they look. Yeah, let me know what you think about it.
1: You know what I got out of that, David? Yeah, the music as well. Oh, I love the music. You know what I got out of that? <laughs> What's that? Their times are all messed up. We didn't build those things. Yeah. No, this civilization that's currently on this planet in the last 6,000 years did not build those things. Actually, a few of them we did. If you look at the step pyramids in Egypt, the ones that they're talking about, Saqqara and stuff like that, they're all run down and beat up. And you can see apart. the
0: difference. Yeah. You can,
1: you can see, see you notice the difference. Go to Tia Tia Kwan, right? Look at the difference between the pyramids. Look at the Great Pyramid just between the ones in Saqqara. Massive. It was almost like what I was saying before. They tried to replicate, rebuild. That's right. What they thought it was and how to do it, but they failed miserably and stopped.
0: And why haven't we reproduced it today? That's all you have to say to those little debunkers with their grins on their face and all their academics. Be like, okay, buddy, go prove the whole thing. Build it with the tools they built it with exactly to the size and scale and geometry that they did and then come back and tell us that we're full of shit for looking into all these alternative theories.
1: Yep. So I, I want to show people something. Um, this is off the coast of Cuba. These are off the coast. Of oh, Cuba. I haven't
0: seen this one. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Before you show the Cuba one, do you remember yeah. when the Bermuda one was going around? I think I think it do. was... Do, I, do you, I, I didn't follow up on it. I felt like it got attacked and sort of like pushed away right away. And I kind of felt, got the feeling it got totally debunked. But then, you know, the way things go, you never know. If it was a legit discovery, then they would want to have a bunch of debunkers go out there like a bunch of fact checkers. Did you ever hear anything about, more about or anybody in the chat with the, the, the ones that were found in Bermuda at the bottom of the ocean, the pyramids, glass pyramids? Uh, no,
1: I haven't. But I'm going to talk about another one in a minute that I, okay. I think will have some from relevance here. Now, right. this one right here, this is for I'll, I'll try to blow it up so people can see it a little bit better. Th- this is from uh, sonar scans of what's underneath this pyramid section of uh, under by Cuba. Now, here's the interesting thing: these are obviously man ma- man made uh monuments under the water now here's the problem the depth that these are at meant that, that they were buried underwater approximately 50,000 years ago
0: wow yeah a lot Not of them built, had to be that ancient yeah
1: buried 50,000 that means that the water only got to that level 50,000 years ago which means that they would have Water would have overtaken them fifty thousand years. They could have been sitting on this planet for five million years before the water went over top of it. Yeah, that's we wouldn't the know. We also yeah. to, right, we wouldn't know.
0: Well, that fits in. Uh, that's see, save that for when we bring cremo on because yep. I'd love to throw that at him and throw the pyramids thing at him because I remember having I had lunch with him once when we had him down at an event and I had a little I had a, like twenty minutes to just start chatting with him openly and i asked him about pyramids and he started getting into it and then we got interrupted and i would love to have his take on like his whole research and just for people that are new michael cremo is the guy that wrote about the history of humanity going back millions of years not thousands the yugas the whole thing and the research that he's shown to show that there's so many holes in mainstream archaeology it's not even funny and i'd love to throw some of these pyramid questions at him
1: well, and we're scheduling them. I I just talked to him what two days ago. So he Sweet. said uh, it was too early to do this Saturday. But uh, he In wants the future. to future. Okay. Yep, we're gonna get him scheduled. And, and then Chris then, Dunn,
0: Chris Dunn was the guy you reminded me of too. Cr- yeah. Christopher Dunn. He wrote um I think he did he write a forward for Farrell or is he associated with Farrell? He's he does his own work though on the on the pyramids and the technological right. side of things. Yeah.
1: Oh, man, I had that one up. Hold on. Uh, I got to pull it back up.
0: Um, Yeah, this stuff is just so fascinating. Um, I I don't know how many books I have on this kind of stuff. It's ridiculous.
1: And for people wondering, this is the other one right here. This is the one people are talking about right now. This is the Bosnian Pyramid. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Which would be right there.
0: So they look at it like it's a pyramid that has had organic growth you know yep. the, the growth has grown over top of it nature does what it does Wh- which
1: if these things were millions of years old then it makes complete and total sense that that would be the yep. case yeah and
0: why not why, why is it why Why is everybody like oh it couldn't be really what do you know we just showed up here i'm only 40 years old i'm like <laughs> i'm a new The old. i don't care what scientist neil degrasse type any of them you guys are new here compared to like Michael was saying in that clip, the history of Egyptian culture alone, let alone what might have lied behind that. But the history of Egyptian culture alone makes our time of say, since the founding of America look like a nothing what,
1: in terms 6, 000, of time, six, 5,000, 6,000 years.
0: They had, they had, they had astrologers in Egypt that were following and tracking and measuring and interpreting one star their whole family bloodline was dedicated to following and tracking one star or one star cluster hmm. and they would track it over a period of time for that they would pass it off to the young to the young and train them and raise them to become interpreters of the stars we look up today we look at it we go ah, eh, the shit's fake or whatever stupid, whatever flat earth, you, you, or your projection up there. Or oh, the Nazi. Man. What was the Nazi, the old thing where they, they thought it was like a bunch of peep pinholes poked into the yeah, top? Po- and it's po- like, a, it whatever it is. All right. And hey, maybe we're all sitting here. Who freaking knows? But I'm saying what compared to the ancient knowledge of these places, let alone what was lost. See, we're also lost as a species. Where we still don't even, we can't even settle our origins. We can't even, like Josh, if I met you for the first time, I'd be like, oh, where are you from? And you'd say, oh, I'm from here. And I, oh, I'm from British Columbia, Canada. I'm a Canadian, whatever. I would know where I'm from. It's the first thing you say to another human being, where are you from? What, what do you do for a living? Because that's how we start to learn about each other. What, yeah. is it an interesting, the first thing we ask people is where are you from? If we've never met them, or where do you, are you visiting? Are you vacationing? Like that kind of discussion. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And and so, you know, yet as a hey, human, species, where are you from? Don't yeah. know. <laughs> hey, humanity, some alien. Hey, humanity, where are you from? Uh, well, there's this school of thought over here that thinks yeah. this, and there's the school of thought over there that thinks that. What i have not guys human, haven't settled, You haven't even get s- it right. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't even settled where you're from. It's like God, that's amazing to me. Like people think they've settled it, but thinking yeah. you've settled it and actually settling it are two different things.
1: What would the aliens, if an alien, if an alien came down to the planet right now and he looked at a man and a woman, do you think he'd be able to tell the difference and know which one's a man
0: and which one's a woman? Well, yeah, he would. But today it would be much more difficult for him to determine that.
1: I'm a cat. Get it right. You Are, are you not a veterinarian?
0: <laughs> oh, man. It's amazing to think about. It's amazing. Well, so, okay. So anything else? On, oh, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the occult side of the pyramids and how they look at it, interpret it symbolically, right? Because here's another thing that happens. You get into the whole conspiracy research and everybody thinks every time they see a pyramid, that's evil, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Because of the fact that it's been ascribed to the Illuminati. Well, the Illuminati didn't invent it. They didn't, uh, they're not the only ones that use that symbol. It's humanity's symbol because it's a part of our history. Um, The symbol of a pyramid, even the pyramid with the eye, is an ancient symbol talking about God, talking about uh, nature, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens with these occult dark orders is that they co-opt those symbols. I've I've spoken about this a lot, but I feel like we have to keep saying it because it's important to make that distinction. That um, just because you see pyramids or Egyptian symbols or anything like that, doesn't automatically mean they're part of some dark satanic cabal that's sacrificing children underground or something like that. Okay. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that now that also doesn't mean that that isn't happening. It just means that, um, they are, they are trying to use godly, um, mystical, powerful, ancient, religious, like symbols because that is sort of their cover story right mm-hmm. like look at the vatican okay I'm doing a lot on this especially in this new chapter i'm doing for cult of the medics chapter eight it's going to be pretty crazy where we're getting into more of that and when you think about the symbols that they've wielded to hide behind while they are involved in organized crime like you can't believe there's a list of books i can recommend people get into on that but um If you look at the fact that on one hand, the actions of these groups are in complete contrast to the cover story, to the symbolism, to the costumes, to the PR, to what they're saying on the microphone, et cetera, it's two different things. Just, Mm -hmm. hey, Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, Jacinda, I mean, do you need any other examples of it on the political level? It's the same in the religious world. It's the same in, in a lot of these different places because wherever you find human beings, There's the propensity for people to become corrupted and to take something good and pervert it. So look at, there's the original, when we're looking at the ancient pyramids, we're looking at the original deal, the original monument to nature, God, spirit, connection to the universe, whether it was a technological device or anything else, but just on the symbolic level. Then you have people that take that symbol, pervert it, cast it in their own rendition, and then adopt it also because they need to um, hide behind the light. That's the sheep's clothing that hides the wolf. Is The symbol is the sheep's clothing that hides the wolf. So I always say that to dispel the people that I think it's good people that are just getting into this, and they're just learning about it, and then they see some videos that are just kind of introducing them to the subject, and then they're going to be all hyper paranoid, and every time they see these onks and one eyes and pyramids and everything. They're just, Oh my God, it's all Illuminati shit. Um, it's just not the case. There's a whole story. They stole it from us. So in my opinion, we reclaim it back from them.
1: That's right. And so, and I go in this deeply in my discussions about magic and and what magic really is in the sense of the science of magic that symbols have, um, think about a, a quantum theory, right? is that you You can, everything is a probable position of something. Everything has a probability of, the wave has a probability of manifesting into something, right? Right now behind David's back, David doesn't know what is there. That means that everything is in a quantum probabilistic form, right? I can see behind David's back, but only within my perspective reality, which means that the wave field collapses for me, but not David. Okay, and so when we start talking about understanding magic at a a certain or higher degree level is that everything in the universe is basically in a propolistic form that has to wait for a conscious interaction with it. That conscious interaction interacts with whatever it is, which I believe is all another field of consciousness. When the two fields of consciousness interact, the 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 intention of the consciousness is derived to produce the reality. And this is kind of in the sense you create your own reality and belief. So when we start talking about symbols is that everything in the universe carries information. Everything is a carrier of information. A symbol is no different. A symbol is basically a a shape, a sound, a number, a, a representation, a geography, whatever we can utilize it for to represent an intentional process or, or or an intentional representation of information which can hold it. In, in a lot of ritualistic magic, uh, they will talk about opening channels of magic. Now, what this really means is really kind of creating this, this ethereal flow between you and this one person point of resonance, which holds a certain level of information, kind of what I was talking about in the sense of the cymatic patterns, resonance, and how what they would do is they would create various different resonant patterns. And you could utilize your brainwave state to get to these resonant patterns. And inside there, you could have various flows of information. This is all we're talking about in the sense of magic. It's all about frequency vibration, so forth. But I could hold that vibration in a symbolic representation or in a mental representation, intentional representation within a symbol. And this is what alchemists and Hermetics and so forth have done for a very, very long time is they've held very, very ancient secrets, information within these symbols. And it's up to us to understand them, decipher them and, uh, and acknowledge them. We did a, um, a thing on the social red pill. So our, our, our private social network a while back where we would take, we created a symbol. And then we would all meet up at the same time of the day. We would focus on the symbol and we would start to project kind of what we were doing throughout the day onto that symbol. And I'll tell you, we're about 86% accurate. People, like one person would go and say, okay, you know, uh, this is what I'm thinking. And you would think uh, something into the symbol. And everybody would be like, I smell spaghetti. Is, is someone making spaghetti? And be like, yeah, I'm making spaghetti over here. Someone would be like, I hear crashing water and salt water, like I'm seeing salty salt water and crash water. Like the person's like, I'm at the beach. Like it was crazy. Like all these things were coming through and we're on a chat. We're not on a phone or zoom. We're on like a regular chat, like text chat. And people are like coming through and they're seeing everything else that's happening. Why? Because that symbol becomes the conduit for this exchange or that higher level of resonance that is represented by this field that we can access. And this is what is meant in ritualistic magic by these these channels of magic that are created. And symbols are those gateways or conduits into those channels of magic. And so when we start talking about various different symbols, you're right, we have to take them back because those symbols can be repolarized towards different channels of magic. They can refocus energy from one field to another field, much like what is happening right in modern day with Christianity. And I know people don't want to hear that, but let me ask you this. The symbol of the cross pre-Christian dynasty was represented as the cross section of the astral theological zodiac, right? At the bottom, you had death and resurrection. But throughout the whole Roman period, that symbol represented death, death, not salvation, death. Not resurrection, death. And it's been embodied since then. And so this old ancient pagan symbol, which represents the, the seasonal awareness of the Zodiac, the astrotheological Zodiac, is now turned towards death. And, and you can go into the, I know everybody was just talking about Mithraism in, in the Vatican. The Vatican was built on a tomb of the Etruscans. And it was the goddess of uh, what is it? Vatica was the goddess that they worshipped, and she's very similar to uh, Persephone's, who was drawn down as a protector of the underworld. Um, and that's a lot of people claim that's where the Vatican actually got his name is from Vatica, which was the Etruscan goddess of the underworld. And so we do see these parallels to the Vatican Catholicism, the Ro- Holy Roman Empire, the cult of the eagle, and them actually being a very, very dark and satanic cult that hijacked a lot of this symbology along the way. As well as they didn't even hijack it, is they went out and destroyed all their competition of all these other various serpent cults, all the indigenous cults, all the tribes, uh, the, all the Druids up in Ireland. We know St. Paddy's Day, why everybody celebrates that. It's about the killing of the serpents. It's about killing of the Druids. They, they, they had the Templars killed, everybody. They had anybody who held the sacred knowledge killed, and then they adopted their symbology and brought it into their own right and then reconfigured those channels of energy back to themselves or to their fields of energy, their channels of magic. And now that symbol is flowing towards them. This is a lot with – like when, when the Gnostics talk about the Archons – this is how the archons operate in this influential aspect is there's these channels of vibr— I, I look at them as fields of vibration, right? And I look at that as a channel. And you can store information. You know, D- Richard Hogan would say it's a hyperdimensional physics, right? But anyway, you want to look at it. This is what they are. And a symbol is a conduit or gateway to that. And so we can focus on those symbols and utilize them to access these higher levels of information. Just like the Akashic Records. People talk about it all the time. What is it? It's a higher level of energy that exists on this planet that's probably being kept in place by underground pyramids that have been here for centuries, right? And we can probably access it some way or some shape or form if we could just reach the brainwave state to resonate with it. And this goes for all of this type of magic.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's like, you know, you hear about how a lot of our DNA is not active, right? We've got this, uh, they call it junk DNA or whatever. What if it's just stuff that's been switched off? like the altering of, you know, the alchemically altered man, you know, the idea yeah. that I'm bringing out in my series, what if it started a long time ago? And part of that was shutting us off from otherwise natural conduits towards that field of information, that morphogenic field to be more connected to nature, right. And those frequencies and to have a more organic type of technology. Um, and so when, when we're when you hear this talk about in all these traditions about how to you know go within and activate the soul and all that, that's what the process is is trying to activate what you can so that you're a better conduit so you can receive and transmit that information more clearly. Just like you're trying to get a faster Wi-Fi signal, right? Um, it's the whole thing and the whole point of a lot of this control system and the artificial technology and the artificial ideas and the whole thing is to keep people stunted in that otherwise natural spiritual evolutionary path where we could regain uh, those lost gifts, those lost abilities, I think, that a lot of ancient myths talk about. And it's just one way of looking at it, right? It just tells you there's potential within you. You could also just look at it as if you're more of on the evolutionary track, it's just these are doors yet to be opened to humanity. And once in a while, you find an anomalous person who has that door opened And there's your clairvoyant, there's your, you know, and a lot of materialists hate this shit, but it's undeniable. It's not deniable that there's a lot of um uh people who are fake channels and fake psychics and fake that most of them are, I'd say, but there are those out there that um real deals. There's people I've met, dude, that I'm like, okay, there's that's next level. There's something else happening with you. That's not fake, okay? Um, and so you just wonder, are there just different people that have those doorways opened to them? Um, just in the same way that certain people have different gifts, they have athletic gifts, they have intellectual gifts, they have creative gifts. We all have these little gifts. What is that? Well, they think it's your genetics, but what about epigenetics, right? The whole world of epigenetics. The fact that all of material science is leaving consciousness at the door. You know, as much as I respect science for many things, it does a good job at what its function is. It's gone way over its, you know, its boots are too big for its britches, in my opinion, and that's why you need um, a Rupert Sheldrake out there shaking a stick at you and saying, "Hey, you know, you're leaving consciousness at the door." And what the ancients did, these people that built these ancient structures, whoever they were, whoever they were, whether they were from this planet or not or whatever you think it was, um, they were built to encapsulate that in a structure that would stand the test of time. I loved how Michael brought up that quote about, you know, man fears time, but time fears the pyramid. Yeah. I just think that's awesome. And with that said, let me just quickly show people this, uh, quick article here. I know it's the daily mail, but just to get you into it, I like showing people with mainstream articles, because if we can look at it with mainstream articles, holy crap, start going to get some books that we could recommend. You get the whole story. But they do tell you certain things. So here it is. Mysterious pyramids are spotted on the ocean floor. <laughs> I love this. Conspiracy theorists claim they have found two ancient underwater structures off the coast of the Bahamas. First of all, I wonder why they had to... To me, that's an overreach to say conspiracy theories because all we're talking about is the fact that we found some pyramids in, in the ocean. Like, mm-hmm. there's pyramids on the surface. Is it really a stretch? Do you have to be a conspiracy theorist? in order to discover the possible pyramid structure on the ocean floor? I don't think so. So to me, that's kind of like an overly defensive title that actually gives the whole thing away. But anyways, you just go down. I just want to show you some of the pictures. I included some of them in uh, the intro to this episode. Right Hmm. There you go. And again, water erosion, time, etc. cetera. It's just one article. There's another one here from uh, ancientorigins.net. Yep. Now, remember we were showing the Mars photo? And um, you've been showing me, actually, there's been more to that, by the way, but I'll let you carry on later for that. But this just shows the edging. Look at this. Does nature do this? Right angle turns, multiple right angle turns. Eh? All right. They're going to tell me that this is natural formation. Nice little hallway with some steps. Look at this! Look at that! Incredible! Oh, but you know, but they're only
1: ten thousand years old.
0: Well, only ten thousand, of course.
1: And you know how they get that date, right? For the ten thousand years on these Japanese underground underwater pyramids. How? That's the last time that the oceans would that 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 area would have been above land. It doesn't mean that those pyramids. Hmm structures are 10,000 years old it just means the last time that they were above the surface was 10,000 years right.
0: ago so we could be freaking 50,000 years we don't That's, know could be a million years old we wouldn't know the fact that they're under the water though mm-hmm. like someone built them I don't think there was a bunch of ancient scuba diving teams that had the ability to ton total <laughs> like come on the dolphins so clearly this also proves cataclysm. This actually starts to vindicate people like Velikovsky, Beaumont, so many other people yep. that are telling you and, and the Bible and all these ancient texts and scriptures saying there were floods, there were comets, there, there was a sea of fire that rose up to the sun, like shit like that. You know, what do you think they're talking about? They're talking about something that changed the face of the earth, that changed the land bridges, the land bridge formations that changed where humans habitated that ch- what's in the arch- what's under the ice what if part of what's under the ice isn't just massive rainforests but what are what's what are they finding in the rainforests of latin america pyramids and ancient mm-hmm. ruins what if there's ancient ruins from a wiped out part of that civilization under those under that ice so what what if what happened and let's speculate here is
1: a long time ago there was a war in heaven between civilizations in the solar system, humans the in civiliz- the solar system. And they destroyed a planet which knocked off a series of cataclysmic events over the next 100,000, 300,000 million years or whatever it might be. And that every time that civilization would seemingly get back to a point of advancement, some type of cataclysmic event would occur because of the prior cataclysmic event that destroyed a planet and the debris from that planet. Hence the floods, the comets, and the multiple different indications of them over and out throughout time. Of which it almost looks like that every 6,000 years, there's 6 to 10,000 years, there's some major type of cataclysmic event on this planet. And when we start to look at it like that, what if we're headed to one right now? I'm just saying is it would good timing (laughs) be easy to name it, the great reset. Right. But you know, when I start to look at these things is, um,
0: well, can I say something before we go to the moon, just because what you're saying made me think of something. If something caused a change in the order of the natural order, which would be a war, a something, something like that, right. However, people want to imagine it. Think of the reaction that your own body has Mm -hmm. when you get injured, okay? And I I guess as a martial artist who has sustained multiple injuries over my career, I know about this, where you injure, say, your knee, but then what happens is because you're injured, the rest of your body and even your gait pattern and your movement and everything starts to compensate for the injury of the knee. And then there's even the overcompensatory effect that can happen. Right. Also, your own psychology, your neurology is linked into how well and quickly you can heal and not overcompensate. So if you panic and you are in that state, then you can even make it worse. But anyways, I digress. So you have a a compensatory effect to an injury. Think of an injury that took place in our solar system. Or even if you don't want to go way out out there with us, just stick on the planet then. okay, there was an injury that happened. That means that the order of nature, the the position of the planets, the the fact that it's tilted on its axis, what what tilted it, right? And if it was tilted or or there was any damage to the planet or any of the planets in our solar system, how did that change the equilibrium of everything else in that sphere of life, right? In that place of life. So I look at it like that. We suffered an injury. And then this is where we can get in and bring a Joseph Farrell on or any of these other guys. One guy is going to tell you it was just purely a random comet or whatever that came through. Uh, Someone else is going to say, no, there was actual, just like we have war on our planets. And we've just caused all kinds of destruction by testing nuclear warheads in the upper atmosphere and all kinds of shit that we've done. We've changed parts of nature in a way. You know, it's actually amazing that it still is what it is. But so, what if this happened again on a cosmic scale, how would that compensatory effect
1: look? and you know this is exactly where I was just going, but I love the how you explain that in the sense of compensation. so in the ancient worlds, we don't do this anymore today. There used to be a secular calendar and a sacred calendar. now the secular calendar obviously today is the calendar we have three hundred and sixty five point two five days, right but the sacred calendar was 360 days and five days were intercalated, which means that they, they looked at these as unlucky. These five days were known as the unlucky days. Okay. And so if you ever heard, like obviously the year starts on April 1st. And for those first five days, it would basically be party and vacation and people wouldn't work. They wouldn't do anything because they always viewed these days as unlucky. The Sumerians believe that the year used to be 360 days, but due to a great cataclysm changed and was added onto it 5.25 hmm. 5. days. Interesting. Now, think about what you're talking <laughs> about.
0: 5.25? <laughs> 5. Point, okay.
1: Yeah, but think about what you're talking about here, is if a massive cataclysm hit the planet, the Earth would at all the orbits of all the planets, by the way, if people understand if a planet blew up, you have something called Bode's Law. Okay, this is basically a law of harmonic variation in the sense of municipal notations and scales that everything is going to be symmetrical to each other in the sense of frequency, okay? Which means that if you had a massive planet the size of Jupiter that blew up and was destroyed and all of its mass and energy and material spread throughout the whole solar system, okay? The whole solar system has to move and compensate for that and reposition Everything, because now the gravitational forces tug. So one of the things that when I was talking earlier about the Earth and the satellite measurements that they do with it and the measurements of the Great Pyramid and all this stuff. One of the things about when they measure the equatorial or the uh, the uh, the other radius, the polar radius of the Earth is it changes two to four hundred feet every measurement. They can never get an accurate one. The reason is, is because dependent upon where the Earth is in its rotation around the sun, it's being pulled by other different astronomical planets. Saturn, Jupiter, the sun, moon, right? Depending on the position of all these things, it pulls the Earth 200 to 400 feet every day in its equatorial and its polar radius, okay? That's That's just the Earth's normal rotation. If you have a massive planet the size of Jupiter and that thing blows up, What's going to happen to the position of the Earth, the rotation of Earth, all these various different things? That's going to cause fluctuations. And what if we had help from an advanced civilization that came here and put the moon in place? And that's what they utilized to stabilize the planet. Or maybe that was the, the what we had to do as a, a civilization. But imagine. Or it's that, the Death Star. Or it's the Death Star. It's <laughs> Isn't just, it funny? The Death Star in Star Wars
0: it. looks like the moon.
1: Yeah. Or the, well, George, George Lucas. There you go again. No, they just parked it when they were done with it in earth's orbit and (laughs) we forgot all about it
0: (laughs) accumulated that that's that's the ford f-150 of the lost people we go oh we found an a like because to our eyes you know what's the old saying that um something that's not understood is seen as magic like something is not technically understood is just seen as magic
1: yeah magic is just science not yet understood
0: there it is and that we're talking not the magic you were describing earlier, the inner magic. We're talking the magic most people think about, like yeah. when they hear the word magic. Very cool, dude. There's so many things. Like uh, I feel like we got to break this up and do a couple different things. So we're gonna have some guests come on. Um, yep. I'm still reaching out. I've reached. I've put a net out to a bunch of people. We'll see cool. who gets back. I also uh, I know Richard Dolan was just recovering from whatever the hell this thing is going around, not monkeypox. That's totally, that's, that's just fear porn. Um, but well, although there is, you do have a different theory about that. That's a different show, right, Josh? Yeah. Um, but I got some people on the pipe that are going to, that we're going to get to, you've got some people, but in between there are so many places that Josh, I think you and I can go. Um, I think with the cave thing, getting into the inner earth concept, the. Uh, just so many more things on the ancient structures uh, alone. Yeah. Oh, Shambhala. Dude. Shambhala. You know, like, dude, there's a whole thing. There's a whole thing. The underground, the dumbs, the deep underground bases, you know, getting into oh. some of that. But um, the thing is, is I think what we're trying to show everybody here is there's enough mystery for you to start thinking for yourself. That's the end of the story. You don't have to agree with our theories, speculations or whatever. The point here is that you haven't been told everything. You've definitely been lied to. There's been information that's been held from you and your parents and their parents. And so a lot of what we take as common knowledge and all of that, it was created and it was crafted. And that market was cornered. And that means we lost many very brilliant voices and researchers and all kinds of people that came out and went to these places and found different they had different results to their investigations and they had different theories to bring to the table. And what we want to do in this series is bring those theories to the table because what if we're dealing with a far more complex, mysterious, massive picture when people say, Oh, the picture when it's a big picture at that. What if it's so big? We literally cannot imagine it. And you could actually, Josh, let me know what you think about this. When I look at all the different subjects I've looked at over the years, I've almost forgot more than I remember. That's how much I've looked at. But when I look at it all, I realize that that picture that we say is the big picture, we're literally just getting a little keyhole image into it. It's vaster than I think any of us can imagine. And you can't even hold it all in your mind at once in order to think. Like I can't hold all of this concepts in my head at one time you got to kind of zone in and take it in sections. Do you ever feel like that? Um, you don't know what you don't, you don't know what you don't remember, right? <laughs> like, like yeah, sometimes
1: right. like I'll go into an interview or a show and I'll be like, man, uh, you know, I got to refresh myself on this topic or I need to go do some research cause I don't know anything about it. And then I go in there and the questions that are asked to me and I'm like, oh yeah, right. And I go on, yeah. you know, five 20 minute rants and interview done. And people are like, dude, that was awesome. I'm like, man, I, Wow, I didn't know I knew that. Right, like, but, but you that's don't all know, the work
0: you put in. That's all right? that is the work you put yeah. in.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that great memory, right? That 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 memory of story, putting putting things in the story and utilizing that as a mechanism of memory. But um, but yeah, man, it's there's just so much. Like, and that's the great thing about the series is it's listed the Mars Chronicles, and I think we say that because you know we're from Mars, but um. <laughs> That human beings were from Mars, guys. Okay, that's that's my theory.
0: Or maybe that, just some of us. I don't know. Maybe right. just us.
1: Well, you know, it was interesting about that doorway. So a JPL scientist came out and said, ah, actually, uh, you know, that thing's only 17 inches long.
0: Oh, yeah, so, I saw this. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I went out there and I started doing the calculations. It's 2.1 inches per pixel at uh, one, uh, 0.6 mile right? And I'm assuming that it's about a quarter mile, so I started doing the calculations, and it looks like that doorway is about three feet. But then go back to what Michael Desarian was saying in that clip that you put. He goes, why did the Egyptian always
0: make them children? Maybe the gods were children or small people. Well, hey, just so you know, for those that follow Enslaved, Michael did a premium just on the little people. The man is from Ireland, so he's got access to certain books and knowledge that a lot of us don't, um, on that subject. And he brings in that as he looked at it as the little people were a a culture that were more native to this planet than anything else. And they were a part of our story before any kind of visitation or war of the heavens. So think about a few things, the Ewoks of Lucas, uh, the, what even in the Lord of the Rings? I mean, Tolkien. Uh, what's his dwarfs, creatures? Yeah. The the dwarf peoples, um, the the symbols, the fountains with all these children. Now there's the dark uh, symbolism of the fact that they have naked children all over the churches. There's that, but there's also another esoteric layer oh, to that. Angels that strong, the Angels portrayed as innocence. Children? Yeah, and remember that the these if the if we did have visitation from advanced civilizations, they looked at the native peoples of the earth when they came here like children right just the view of humanity on behalf of these archonic uh, nephilims was that we're dealing with a bunch of children here and then just just speculating look at how the elites and politicians and the media talks to you today look at how justin trudeau talks to you like you're five years old right or, or any of these people i think biden is five He's, years old in his head at this they're, point they're both wishing
1: but, you were so they could touch you
0: Right, so they look at you. The they ta- the priests they talk. They have three steps for the for the church at the the minister to that's talk right. down to you. Right, you look down on you, the children of the gods. You're the little children, right? And th- that's how they view you, positive or negative. It's just the way they view. So the fact that there's all these legends of the planet um, on of the little people, the the different peoples that may have existed in different forms before we even came here. And there's a lot more science behind this than you think. Everybody thinks we're talking out of our ass. I can't even recount it all for you, but if you go check out that series, it's really good and we can do more on it. And the fact that they, just cause they found it, I don't care if they found a two foot door or a foot, look at the geometry. Was it artificially made? That's all we care about. Yeah. Or was it some natural thing? So if he's coming out and saying, well, it's just a three foot door. It's still a
1: fucking door, isn't it? Well, well, the JPL guy's like, oh no, it's probably caught, it's probably caused by wind. And and I'm sitting here trying to figure out how wind produces 90-degree angles, some
0: of them polished. But in different directions, because you'd have to polish both sides. But hey, even if it's wind, that's an amazing anomaly. I'd really like like to know more about how that's possible. Holy shit, some crazy wind. Well, anyways, guys, um, I think we should probably drop it. We've done two and a half hours. Josh, this has been a fun episode. So many more places we could go. Thanks, to everybody, for joining and coming into this, uh, this zone and looking at this. And we got a lot more coming. We'll see what's going to happen in the next few weeks. We'll let you guys know. And go check out our new site, Mars Chronicles, TheMarsChronicles.com. Awesome. All right, guys, that's a wrap. We'll catch you next time. Cheers, everybody.